everybody, what's going on? Rob Sestrino back here with our Game Changer cast preview special number four. And we have got another great lineup for you here today because we are going to be doing deep dives into the Survivor games of both Aubrey Bracco and Troy, Troy Zan Robertson. Here as we go through our fourth edition of this podcast series. So first, you're going to hear an interview with a friend of mine. Jessica Z is going to be joining me here in the studio. She didn't want to give out her last name because uh, she felt like she wanted to keep independent Jessica alive and not have her world collide with podcast Jessica. So we'll respect that. So she'll be here to talk about Aubrey's game in very great detail here with me in the studio in an interview that I recently recorded. And then Derek Blaze is going to be joining us to talk about his number one favorite survivor, Troy Zan. And he thinks Troy Zan has gotten a bad rap. He wants to tell you why Troy Zan may be misunderstood and why he might be set up well here in Survivor Game Changers. So that's coming up here in a little bit. If you missed it earlier this week, we had our All Tony episode, which Tony said he listened to and enjoyed on Twitter. So that made me very happy to hear. That's up on the website. Plus, our episode number two of this series went up on Monday with Sari and Jeff Farner. If you missed either of those shows, you can subscribe to the podcast. Go to robiswebsitecom slash iTunes or on our website for all of our Survivor 34 preseason coverage. Go to robhasawebsite.com slash S34. One more thing before we get to our Aubrey deep dive. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are the good people at Texture. Texture is an outstanding app, in my opinion. Game-changing even for the world of magazines. Because instead of lugging around magazines all over the place and having them pile up in your house... I've been very busy in 2017 trying to get rid of a lot of clutter around here, and God knows there is a lot. Texture allows you to access all of the world's top magazines in one place, anytime, all via your smartphone or tablet, which is really a fantastic experience. It looks exactly like it would on the pages of the magazine. You can flip through, plus Texture can give you daily recommendations of things that you would like, interactive features, it can do video, and also has search functionality so you can find magazines and articles about whatever subject you're looking for. I know a lot of people that are talking about the different publications they have recently subscribed to because there is more of a focus on news, certainly these days. Texture is a great way to subscribe to any magazine that you want. So many of the magazines that you would see on the newsstand, Time, Entertainment Weekly, People, Sports Illustrated, both monthly magazines and weekly magazines are available at Texture with plans that start as little as $9.99 a month. So right now, Texture is offering our listeners a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash R-H-A-P. It's a great offer to give it a shot. If you got a flight and you were going to buy a couple of magazines, this is a much better way to go. That's 14 days to try Texture for free when you go to texture.com slash R-H-A-P. That's texture.com slash R-H-A-P. And I'll tell you what, magazines on an app, better for the environment too. That's right. 
Okay. That's right. We did our part for today. Okay. So let's get into talking about the return of Aubrey Bracco. It was but eight or nine months ago that we saw her go toe to toe with Michelle and ultimately be the runner up of Survivor Co. Wrong. And now she's going to be back for Survivor 34. So here is my interview with Jessica Z. All right, everybody, I'm very excited today to talk about another one of our game changers. And today we're going to be talking about the highly anticipated return of Aubrey Bracco to Survivor. And we have a game changers interview first this afternoon because I am joined here in studio by a friend of mine who is a big Aubrey supporter. And she's here with me in the studio, my good friend, Jessica Z. Jessica, how are you? Great. How are you? It's great to be here. Good. Very excited to have somebody here live to talk about these game changers, talk to everybody else over Skype and over the phone. And now here we have somebody to talk through a very important survivor this season, Aubrey Bracco. Yes, I love Aubrey and I love my local privilege because I'm also in L.A. So this is easy for me to come over here, but I'm impressed with the setup. I'm impressed to talk this through here. I'm excited. Okay, and I know that you are feeling very Aubrey-like in anticipation for this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I do feel, yeah, I am feeling that that exact, other than the heat. Yes. It's not as hot in here as it is in Korong. No, (laughs) we don't need all that heat. We don't need that heat, baby. Um, Not in January, at least. (laughs) No, Um, but yeah, no, I, I, Aubrey actually was the first, I think, since I've started watching live, which is not that long ago. Uh, I started with season 27, actually. Then I went from zero to a thousand and have seen pretty much everything. And, you know, I'm a huge fan now. It did not take much to get me on board. But Aubrey and the whole season, I think in general, were there are a collective first that made me really, really into it. I identified with her. She reminded me. I saw in her what I think, not knowing better because I've never been there, what I think I would do, what I think I would bring to the table. I think I would have the exact same meltdown on day one because I don't even do that well with the heat here in the valley <laughs> yes. when I'm at work, when I'm in West Hollywood. I do not handle that well in the confines of my cozy apartment that is fairly well air conditioned. I don't do that well. So I can't imagine I would have the exact same thing. But she she also she has this great way of appealing to everybody to disarm everybody. And that's that's something I think is so important in Survivor. And you don't always see that or you don't see people who realize that's the easiest way to get anybody to either not target them, to get on board mm-hmm. with them, to listen to them. And she also, she was the only one on the Brains Beach who was listening when Debbie was listing her absurd resume yeah. and, and you know, everybody else was just looking at her like, you're a lunatic. And yeah, Debbie is probably a lunatic in her own right. But Aubrey was just listening. She wasn't counting anybody out. Yeah. And she was the last brain standing. I think that there's no way that's a coincidence. So. Right. so there's a lot to get into with Aubrey. We'll talk about everything from Korong and where we're going to go from here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to tell people about yourself before we get into and why Aubrey uh, was so particularly appealing to you and why you're such a big Aubrey supporter? Sure. Uh, Aubrey, just again, and, and it might sound self-serving, but Aubrey, I saw a lot of me in her and it was nice to see in all of the seasons I'm sure that I'm overlooking somebody, but there are so many people I liked. You know, I love Sandra. I love Suri, just to name a couple who are also joining her as game changers. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, unpopular opinion, I love Brian Heideck. Yeah. I loved watching his game. Maybe it was the 
watching it later yes. <laughs> made a difference. But, you know, I, I love I love Aris. I love listening to Aris here. But I also I liked watching him. I enjoyed him. I love Tyson. Tyson was my first. His, his win was my first. But I didn't identify with really any of them. Mm-hmm. Aubrey made sense to me. Aubrey showed me somebody who's, you know, she is smart. She actually ended up being unexpectedly brawny or unexpectedly great in challenges. And you didn't see that coming, but she also had an incredible social game. She had flaws. Mm-hmm. She, she's a huge fan. She jumped off of that boat in the ruining. was like, woo, you know, and it was such a nice, that was the first thing you see about her. Everybody else is running around like an insane person mm-hmm. and she's doing what she needs to do, but she's also super excited. Yeah. And you know, she'd play the game a thousand times no matter what. And she also didn't care about the TV part. You could tell that that was something that came with it. But much like me, that's probably the number one thing that scares me about doing it. I don't want to be on TV. I have no interest. I want to go play and win a million dollars. I like winning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I just like winning things. But, uh, you know, so I she she appealed to me. And I love that season. I loved it even more in the rewatch. Talk to me about the Aubrey archetype, because I think that that's sort of interesting to explore as well. I'm trying to think back to a young woman who is that type of character that Aubrey was. And I don't know if there's really anybody that came before her. Sophie comes to mind, but Sophie to me had a self-confidence about her, even from the beginning where I think that Aubrey ended up on more of an arc. Do you think that Aubrey yeah. is a unique survivor character in that way? I do. And and I, I also, I did really like Sophie, but Sophie, Sophie actually has something in common more with Michelle, I think, in almost a, I do mean this in the best way possible, a blissfully ignorant confidence, as in they've never realized anything could take them down a notch or that there's the possibility that anybody else could take them down a notch. Fearless. Exactly. Aubrey has that. I have the exact same thing. You can, there are times when you can Mm self-awareness can actually work against you. And I Mm -hmm. think, and I'm not saying Sophie or Michelle weren't self-aware. They absolutely were. And I think I loved how both of them ended up winning and, and Sophie, especially I, I was completely behind her the entire time. That was, but I don't think they're the same. And I think that the, Aubrey did play out of fear, but why wouldn't anybody? It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Every single thing you do could be the end of your game. Yeah. Everything you do, one sentence, one misstep. And as much as 39 days is probably an eternity out there, it's not that long. You have three days at a time to do everything right and fix your mistakes. And Aubrey course corrected in a way on her feet mm-hmm. that we also don't really see very much. She was, she was this nerdy chick who also, she wasn't a spaz. She, she was vulnerable, but she was earnest. She held it together. She did what she needed to do. And she also crushed it in challenges. The same exact episode where we saw her just lose it and say, can you help me? And had mango all over her face. She, she killed it. She dove down when everybody else couldn't do that mm-hmm. and then ended up fixing the puzzle and, you know, I can't remember if it was Neil or Nick, but maybe both of them saying, you're the best. Thank you so much. Everybody, Aubrey was the star all in one episode. I went from thinking, oh, man, she, to saying, that's my girl. So, of course, everybody knows Aubrey ended up losing in the final tribal council in Korong, and a lot is sort of uh, made about the reasons why she lost. So what are some of the misconceptions about Aubrey as a player that the fans might have? So I think the obvious thing that came as a results-oriented effect of losing was the bad social game 
air quote, bad mm-hmm. social game. She really didn't have a bad social game. She had a bad social game for the people who she had put on the jury. Mm-hmm. And most of those things she really couldn't have seen coming. Nobody could have. She she also had to get there. She had to get to the end. You can't be in the final three without getting to the final three. So I think that it's one of those things. These are all things she can work on, but she did not have a bad social game. She had an excellent social game. She just didn't have the right social game that she needed to win with the people she was playing with. The other thing is I think the misconception that she was just flat out robbed. No, she wasn't. She might have been robbed in a different matchup, mm-hmm. but that was her matchup. You can't be robbed when that's what you ended up with. You got there and the person you were against to be you was working with the people on the jury that you actually were in charge of putting there. I mean, it's all, again, I thought she played a really amazing game. I was rooting for her. I know I'm not alone in that, but at the same time, Michelle did not not deserve to beat her. Nobody deserves anything, by the mm-hmm. way. In Life or Survivor, <laughs> yeah. as Clint Eastwood once said, deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I think those are the two things. It's her her flaws collectively contributed to her losing, but she wasn't robbed either. That's a misconception too. I think she's just, she's a great player. She did a great job, especially on her first time out, but she did have flaws. Those flaws were kind of a long, long, long game ending domino effect that caused her to lose in the end. Okay, well, let's talk that through. And so Aubrey starts this game as part of the Brains tribe. We don't see a ton from her in the pre-swap days of Survivor Co-Wrong. We do see a lot of her in the first episode, though, and it's not a great look where she's having a bit of a meltdown. Was that anxiety or was that a physical issue that she was having where Debbie is like nursing her back to health or it's some combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two. Exactly. Uh, I, again, as I already said, I am a miserable, completely useless person in extreme heat. Mm -hmm. I can't, I I'm, (laughs) I'm from upstate New York. I don't know if that's it. I, I I can deal with the cold, cold. I thrive in the heat. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's L.A. heat. I yeah. don't even know anymore. I don't, and Aubrey's uh, from the Northeast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Korong heat, that's a whole other animal <laughs> that it looks so beautiful, but I really can't imagine being there without being in the confines of a nice hotel. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. Also, I personally think camping is a garbage idea of a good time. So <laughs> I don't I, – I, that's, yeah, my, that's my other real hang-up about Survivor is – the camping, I would freak out the couple of times I have been. It really does freak me out that you're just you're just outside. There's no there's no place to go inside. There's no mm-hmm. there's no home. There's no door. There's nothing. And I think all of those things combined together. And she's a huge fan. Mm-hmm. She got out there, and all of a sudden she has one second to think about it, and it's real. But also, I really think it was about seventy percent heat, thirty percent. Oh wow, this is this is for real. Mm-hmm. This is happening, and I don't know how I'm going to get through the next however, you know 39 days. Hopefully, who knows? That might happen to a lot of people. That might be something that happens to so many people, and we saw it because of the arc she was going to have. Mm-hmm. So, how did that experience of this sort of like whether you want to say anxiety attack or some sort of like version of you know heat exhaustion? How did that shape her game in the early going? I immediately thought, oh, God, really? She's falling apart. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had, of course, I jumped to conclusions. Meltdown. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like, oh, this girl, she, <laughs> you know, she's done. But then, you know, we don't see her again until the challenge. And mm-hmm. she just goes and she 
crushes it. I mean, she dominated that. She not only dominated the swimming part, which apparently is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. And it's, it's another thing I identify. I learned to swim when I was really little. I would immediately, mm-hmm. I would volunteer every time to swim because I know most people probably don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But she also came back and did the puzzle. Yeah. And was she was the dominant force in the puzzle, too. There was one dominant person on each of the three, and that was her. And she she won that for her whole tribe. Jess, does she have athletics in her background? Is that just something I that- I think she does. Um, I know she runs. I know that's mm-hmm. a, a, which which is something I wish I was better at. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the one. Uh, I was an athlete my whole life, but I've never liked running. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but you, you can tell. I mean, even, even in the, the final four, that challenge- booking back and forth. Mm-hmm. She is leading that entire, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but she is a great runner. Yeah. You can tell, you can tell looking at her legs. She's, she's good. She's on it. She's quick. She's a very she's, stealthy challenge yes, competitor. Yes. So she's got that going for her too. She's crazy smart. She's a huge mm-hmm. fan. She can actually appeal to people on a personal level. She can appeal to people like Ty who runs on this like insanely high emotion that we've never seen before. And then she's the secret. She comes in second or third in almost every single individual challenge mm-hmm. of the entire post merge, yeah. which is pretty impressive. You know, I, I know that doesn't rack up to many wins, but the reward she won that was probably final five's immunity if yeah. Joe hadn't gone. So you know, she's really impressive in ways that are completely unexpected. Like Kyle, Jason, and Scott, I think even at one point are like commenting on how oh, yeah. impressed they are with her. Uh, seemingly before they were voted out, then they were less impressed with yeah, her. Yeah, but, yeah. J- Jason thought it was fine to say, you know, how how toe to toe she was going with him when he had the necklace around his neck. But you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when we first see Aubrey go to a tribal council, it's going to be at the vote where Liz goes home, and it looked like that in the early going that there was sort of like a young person's alliance that was going to be going up against uh, Debbie and Joe. They were on the outs, but things end up shifting to where Liz ends up going home. So how involved was Aubrey in that sort of turnover of power in that tribe? I mean, first of all, I got to say, third episode was where I fell in love with Rong more than anything else. Yeah. I loved that episode. Why? What happens in that episode? It is nothing against Liz and Pete, but I love a good Drew Christie-like comeuppance episode. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love nothing more than just watching people set themselves up. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you... the editors can't use anything you don't give them. And the two of them mm-hmm. just vomited gold yeah. all over their confessionals. It was amazing. But, you know, you see, I mean, that, and that was really like, that was a huge shining moment for Debbie. Mm-hmm. I mean, Debbie was the star of that. Debbie definitely was the one they focused on. And she was a driving force behind that. And Debbie, that was when Debbie knew how to bide her time. She did everything right. But one of the things Liz kept saying was that Aubrey wasn't talking game with them. And I think that's a partial flaw on Aubrey's end is you don't have to talk real game. You can also just talk, make it sound like game. If you talk long enough, people don't remember that you didn't actually say anything of use. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I do this every day at my job, mm-hmm. you know, when I know I can't talk about something. I talk around it long enough and eventually you've moved on to other subjects. It doesn't matter. But nobody is paying attention to the fact that you didn't actually give them anything, that you're not talking game. Aubrey was not talking game with Liz and Pete because she didn't trust them and she wasn't going to talk game with them. She wasn't going to work with them. That I get, and that was smart. But she also had been listening to Deb the whole time. She didn't discount her. She didn't discount Joe. She knows how much she can learn from people older than her, especially somebody like Joe. You saw that Joe ended up being 
as she said later on, or Joe said later on, her number one ally from day one all the way until he was evacuated at Final Five. And that was an easy move. Debbie, the first thing she did, she knew that's who she could go to. She didn't go to Neil directly. She went to Aubrey. That was easy. And that's, you know, so Debbie couldn't have pulled that off without Aubrey being on board, without Neil as well. But the two of them had to be on there. And they also had to, Aubrey had to be who she is and was quiet. She wasn't going to, you know, tip off Peter or Liz and let them know that that was about to happen. And that's why that tribal council was so glorious, too. <laughs> they were so blindsided. It was amazing. So coming out of that vote, do you feel like that the setup in that tribe was obviously Peter is the one who's on the outs, but were they looking at the Aubrey, Neil, Debbie, Joe group? Was that an alliance of four or was it two pairs of two voting blocks or trust clusters? Sidebar, voting blocks... Uh, I believe if we had to attribute that to anybody, it's the guy I'm talking to right now. Me? Uh-huh. Why? What did I do? Because you were used voting blocks. You know what? You didn't have to posture and talk about it, <laughs> which also was another thing I loved about Korong. Everybody was just raw yeah. and earnest, and and everything came out of them naturally, mm-hmm. and they were surrounded by voting blocks and trust clusters with 31 and 33, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of people yeah. who were well, too busy. Well, they played technically. They they, did play their season before, was yes, filmed exactly. before voting blocks were Absolutely. invented by Stephen Fishback. Yeah, uh, invented in like, TM. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you, you, and, you and Fairplay and Sandra, I mean, I'm sorry, but the, that's, that's where that came from. Yeah. And I do think one of the things I loved about Aubrey and a lot of the people on Korong, maybe especially due to seeing them airing in between Cambodia and uh, Millennials versus Gen X. I'm like the longest name ever was there was so much. There was just so much playing up to the camera. And this was no, this is what we need to do. I'm not going to spend energy into something Aubrey did well, but I think a lot of people on the season did well. I'm not wasting my energy worrying about what this actually is going to mean, what this, how this is going to play, what's my legacy. The people who have legacies, people like you, Fair Play, Sandra, you know, J- Jeremy, all of these people. Sorry, mm-hmm. I know it just that was a big, that was a big leap, but they, they, you guys were focusing on the game. It's you were not it's worrying about about, the, about what right. this is going to. We're worrying about. Oh, does Jeff think I'm cool because I thought of trust clusters? I mm-hmm. love Hannah, but you know, Hannah. Could have thought a little bit more about things like that. Aubrey wasn't. Aubrey was focusing on the right things. It's a good point that uh, that you make in terms of like how we view that season, that it's not a very meta season in terms of in between the other two seasons that it's sandwiched in between in the airing order. But let, let's go to now where they go through the medical evacuation of Caleb. It looks like Debbie's going to go out. She stays in the game. But we end up with the swap and things end up in a seemingly very strong situation for the brains that are still there because Aubrey is going to land there with Joe and Peter. They have three and they're there with Anna and Ty and Scott Pollard. And so they are going to end up going to that first tribal council post swap, uh, seemingly with all of the power. So how does Aubrey approach things at the swap uh, during the time that Anna was going to go home? I think Aubrey did... Generally speaking, the best she could with an interesting situation. It's weird because Final Travel Council would completely betray what I'm about to say. But mm-hmm. she and Scott did have a good working relationship there. She did notice she she was one of the early ones who noticed, hey, the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. I'm positive she said that verbatim. That's something I say all the time at work, mm-hmm. too. I say in my daily life. But Peter didn't have anywhere else to go. That first vote after he had 
narrowly escaped by the skin of his own teeth and lost his number one ally after being so sure that that was never in the cards. And, you know, he said as much right in that tribal council where he was positive Neil was going home. None of that happened. He kind of felt really vulnerable. He's taken down a few necessary pegs and Aubrey and Joe were the people he knew. You know, it takes a couple days to figure out, can I trust these other people? So really the three of them grabbing Scott alone, just that's that's four people making sure that they get rid of one of the beauties, knowing they have a third beauty coming back in. She did everything right there. It was the second vote. That, that, was, that was where she lost some ground. Okay. But the first one, I think she really went into it with the right idea and saw how the numbers played out and saw who she could appeal to. So Anna ends up being the person who they target. She goes out. And so Julia comes back in from Exile Island. And we get to the point where now Julia and Ty and Scott are three. And then we have the three brains are together. And we have this possibility that things could be a 3-3 tie if we stick with the brains. And Aubrey is forced to make this decision. Do I end up making it 4-2 and avoid the rocks? Or do I end up throwing my vote in? But she doesn't do it cleanly. You can look back. Aubrey had such great gameplay. And she had flaws. Nobody is not flawed. But you don't always see everybody's flaws. To, Mm -hmm. To make a comparison, the season we saw before, not that happened before, but the season we saw... Jeremy, while I was watching, I remember thinking he hasn't made any mistakes every single week. And then Kelly Wentworth had made the next few and then it went down from there. But it made sense. Everything Mm -hmm. made sense. Like his trajectory was unquestionably how it should have gone. Mm -hmm. Aubrey was controlling things and she was doing so well and you're pulling for her, but she's making mistakes. This was the first mistake that I don't think she was able to recover from. I think it was a pretty honest mistake. I mean, on a completely technical level, I don't know what anybody think to ask. Can I get a new parchment? Am I allowed to, you know, can you black it out? Am I being an idiot by doing this? Mm -hmm. Any of those things, I would have thought the same thing. But it's hard when you're sitting home watching. It's hard to see just this like light little cross out, Julia, then say Peter, Mm -hmm. you know, she can get Joe back. She can't get those other two back. And she, and she needed to know what she was dealing with. She needed to know she was dealing with some pretty strong alpha black and white people who are a lot more like-minded than you'd ever think in Scott and Julia. Going back to that point where she ends up writing down Julia, then crossing it out and then ultimately voting for Peter. She had such a short window in which to do interviews and press. She's going to make it to the finals. Obviously I remember when I did my exit interview with her that uh, her and Ty were on the phone. We only had 15 minutes with them. Did she ever give any interviews or secret scenes or anything to talk about what was going through her head during that point? I scoured mm-hmm. the entire, you know, and, yeah. and I remember looking at the time and there, no. And I don't know how much that had to do with, I don't know how soon she knew she was going on 34. And, mm-hmm. what, you know, when you look at it, nobody, none of the four of them who are, who are from Korong, there's not a lot post game. There's just mm-hmm. the you know standard exit. But two of them were in the final three, and two of them had to do their exit interviews together. So everybody got a much, like a fifty percent reduced exposure to them. And I mean, I have a feeling it's exactly what it sounds like. It, it, it's the natural panic. It's mm-hmm. you know we saw we saw to skip ahead a season. We saw Hannah back and forth, back and forth for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And I know there's been a little bit of Aubrey Hannah comparison. I, I guess that's the curly, dark hair, Boston 
glasses yeah. thing, but but that that's where they end. Hannah Hannah's the kind. She knows what she's doing. She's a fan, but she's a spaz. She doesn't actually it doesn't come off well. Aubrey didn't do that. Aubrey's was internal. She kept it to herself for the most part, but I'm sure she was sitting there freaking out. Right. You know, and I think she just didn't know and she didn't think at the time. It's me picking the wrong quarterback on the wrong fantasy football weekend. <laughs> yes, you know? yes. Oh, I've been there. I've been there. Sort of paralyzed. Uh, who do I go with? Yeah, that's what That's what I think she was doing. I really think she just – and because she was so consumed with – am I making the right decision? Like which which is going to end up with the least blood on my hands? Which, which row of dominoes am I kicking over right now that's going to satisfy the most people, mm-hmm. primarily me, but that gives me more than three more days? And it didn't occur to her. Oh, just crossing Julia's. No, I got to get rid of that. I got to make that. That never happened. If I'm going to do this, I got to go all in. That was a half measure. Right, right. No, you didn't ever want to do that. (laughs) So that combined with when we go into the merge, she's going to lose Neil. I do feel like that she, this is when she undergoes a transformation where the Aubrey that we saw in the early days of the game, I think is gone. And I think that she has had some sort of a trial by fire. Yep. At this point where Scott Pollard is mad and Julia is mad. So now she's made enemies and the Brains tribe is on the outs when we get to the merge. Her solid ally in Neil is going to end up getting medevaced here at the merge. And we end up seeing like a new hardened Aubrey emerge at this point. So what do you most attribute that to? Was it coming through this vote or was it going through the experience of losing Neil? I think it was mostly going through the vote, but seeing the fallout from that. Mm-hmm. That alone created a situation that she probably was, I mean, the Neil medevac, she thought that was the worst thing that could happen to her. And the fact that she thought it was the worst thing that could happen to her was that necessary adversity that got her out of it and caused her to come back up stronger. But it was the best thing that could happen to her because she would have been gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single... You know, whether it's Michelle, Nick, anybody else, anybody who've done a long form interview with, especially Mm -hmm. has confirmed categorically she was getting four votes because he had the idol. And we said, okay, well, no matter what, let's flush his idol, but we'll put And if he plays his idol, then she's She's going to be the person that goes home. But either way, she sounded like she had four. So she had more no matter what. And so idol or not, they wanted to flush the idol. And, uh, that, you know, then there was like a lot of talk, uh, you know, on Twitter of like, oh, maybe Neil was still going to go off because they were going to get him to not play his idol. Well, and- here's the thing. Two things. Neil, was he going to not play the idol? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. Yeah. Um, but, but also uh, from, you know, from Michelle, Michelle's, you know, post game interview, the long form one she did mm-hmm. with you, Aubrey had more anyway, even mm-hmm. if he didn't, even if no yeah. idol is in play, Aubrey's still gone because Aubrey actually was considered a bigger threat and Aubrey had pissed off two people. So between the two things, between the people who could recognize her as an actual threat and the two people who their only thing they cared about was that she burned them. Right. That was it. And, and the, you know, she had to kind of go through, she had to lose everything that mattered to her for the most part at mm-hmm. the time. And that last, that last thing was Neil and his idol to just be like, I'm kind of a free agent now. You know, she had t- she, she had nothing left to lose. She had nothing to lose. She yes. And every, that's, yeah, yeah her back was, was against the wall. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes people play better when their back is against the wall. I mean, I just to harken back to Debbie. Debbie, we saw in episode three, did so much better when her back was against the wall. She does not play well, apparently, from, apparently, mm-hmm. from what we've seen. She didn't play that well 
when yeah. when she thought she wasn't comfortable. She she really had a terrible read on things, but she had a much better read when she didn't. Aubrey, I think, had a good read the whole time, but she never she either was never comfortable because she was in danger every step of the way, or even when she wasn't for a very brief couple of episodes when she was really in, in you know in charge with Sydney. She didn't allow herself to. She would catch herself and say, like, all right, well, you know, we're okay right now, but we can't get comfortable. We got to keep paying attention and got to figure out how to get go forward. But, no, she she did that great kind of Phoenix Rising type thing where she came out of a really bad, the worst possible situation and made it great for herself. Aubrey is going to be part of this really big swing where the women are going to get together and they're going to vote out Nick. And obviously that Sydney is going to have some friction with Nick where he's getting in good with Kyle, Jason and Scott and Ty. And so the women and Joe get together and vote out Nick. Now, how much credit, if any, can we give to Aubrey for what happens at this point? I wouldn't say she was responsible for that one, mm-hmm. but I would say she was a necessary piece of that puzzle. I think with Aubrey, definitely came Joe, possibly came Debbie, because the three of them together, you know, whether Aubrey could influence Debbie directly or Joe did, that was a collective piece that had to be in place because it was five versus five otherwise, or it was some sort of version that didn't get enough people to vote against Nick. And she had to be there. Sydney had to get her on board. Sydney had to get Michelle on board. Michelle resisted at first as well. Um, that was definitely a lot more of a Sydney move, but Sydney needed Aubrey especially because of how much she brought with her. You know, Aubrey brought argue, definitely one, arguably two votes with her. I don't think she was responsible for that one. I think she had other ideas that would have been equally as fine. You know, she probably was looking at Jason. She probably was a couple other people, but mm-hmm. she also, Sydney couldn't have. You can't spearhead something if you don't have anything to back it up with. And Aubrey was a major piece of backing that up and making it happen. Now, there's going to be another big swing that happens in this game at this point because this is when Debbie is going to go home. And this is of particular interest to us here as we are not just talking about Aubrey, but also we're talking about a scenario where Debbie is coming back in this same season. Aubrey is going to be one of the people that's responsible for Debbie going out. So how does this ultimately turn against Debbie? And why does Aubrey feel like this is a good idea to do at this point? Well, the funny thing is Aubrey wasn't intending to just go after Debbie. Julia ends up winning immunity, which Mm -hmm. is a total, you know, that's an immovable object. It's a great episode. We did the live know-it-alls in the spring uh, during that. And there's that like that great like tracking shot of like her knocking over her dominoes. And it's like everybody is like setting them up time after time. And then finally she gets it and she would have been going home. But now everybody has to scramble. So, I mean, that's a huge deal. That's a that's a big problem. And I think the the big thing was even before the immunity win, Debbie had this complete blind spot. It was really hard. It was actually hard to watch because you didn't really understand where it came from. And it also wasn't backed up by anything. Julia did not have the trust or the alignment that Debbie thought she had with Julia. It was a really one-sided thing. And she also told her the plan right in front of her. You know, mm-hmm. Th- that was one of those alarm bells are just, just blaring in Aubrey's face. And she's like, all right, well, uh, this is a wild card. Right. And you're going to screw things up for me. And the other thing is that we, I, I don't think we knew until later, was that Debbie was the one obstacle standing in the way of Aubrey having Ty. Mm-hmm. And 
Ty and Debbie weren't going to work together. Therefore, Aubrey had a fractured situation with them. And Ty, Ty was also a bit of a wild card, you know, like mm-hmm. he ended up being very loyal and very important to Aubrey. But at the time, that wasn't the case. And Ty had no relationship with Sydney or Michelle. So the only way to make him hers, per se, or to actually like make that a real alliance, a real loyalty, was to get rid of Debbie. But I got to say, Debbie did that to herself. I mean, you're just watching her just do boneheaded thing after boneheaded thing. And, you know, just the, the she's just saying the entire, you know, new plan in front of Julia alone. Everyone else was like, Debbie, what are you doing? What are you, mm-hmm. what, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? But then again, Debbie thinks the only reason she did not win the game was because Aubrey turned on her and, and, and voted her out. That was it. Like, she does not see any of the contributions she made to it. And she's going to have to see those kind of things if she wants to last more than an episode. <laughs> Do you get the sense that Aubrey was able to mend those fences before they left for season 34? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. And I, I'm also glad they're not in the same tribe. Mm-hmm. I think that Aubrey and Ty have the most legitimate bond that will actually work for them. You know, if they end up either swapping together or post-merge together because they're not in the same tribe. But De- De- Debbie's got to just hope. Mm-hmm. There are other fish to fry, bigger fish to fry in front of her because an all-star season is not, especially one, I, I just, I don't know what it is, between Ozzy and Brad, I, I kind of feel like if they lose that first challenge, the first immunity challenge, they're going to be like, this chick is so annoying. Like, Oh, I, I, come I, I, on. Puzzles lay down for her like lovers. Yeah. She'll be fine. She'll be not fine. Not for what we saw. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. I want to talk a little bit about how Aubrey has these different relationships in this season. You know, we always talk about Aubrey and Joe, but at the time we were really talking about Aubrey and Sydney yeah. were a final two pair. Can you talk about how that relationship came to be and why two people who are seemingly so different ended up having such a good working relationship? Well, yeah. And I think one of the other things just to even before I say that is Aubrey had something really rare in that she had more people who 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 considered her to be their number one than almost anybody I can think of mm-hmm. really in, in for an entire game. You know, she she we didn't find out really until afterward, but she, you know, Joe, she and Joe made a mm-hmm. day one final two alliance, you mm-hmm. know. Um she always had a good relationship with him. She always had a good relationship with Debbie up, you know, up until she voted her out. Right. But, you know, she and Neil were kind of the pair. And they had a great obviously had a really tight and they were kind of each other's main number one until his evacuation. But, you know, she she really had a great ability to keep rebuilding and to keep gaining people. You know, she gained Sydney post swap, who Sydney and Michelle ended up right before the merge really aligning together. But they, you know, they didn't have that inherently. They ended up being together, but Sydney and Aubrey found an incredible working relationship because they both could see the logic and what to do. And I know one of the things Sydney mentioned was she loved how Aubrey could find the rational plan that helped both of them. Not mm-hmm. that just helped Aubrey, which yeah. a lot of people make that mistake. A lot of people find something and they don't they don't figure out a way to position it with look how look how well we come out of this or look at this benefits you for the and putting that first because sometimes people need to hear that. Most people need yeah. to hear that. Is so. it fair to characterize the relationship between Sydney and Aubrey as they were sort of like work best friends and then Michelle was yeah. Sydney's best friend that she hangs out with not at work? Absolutely. And the relationship Aubrey and Michelle had much much like your sex in the city comparison that yes. you and Josh talk about was much more like a 
we only hang out yeah. when like, uh, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney Bradshaw. Was, yeah, right. Sydney Bradshaw. And the other two, they're, they're, they're friends, but they're never hanging out. They're never going out and getting Cosmos by themselves. Right. You know, like that's <laughs> not going to happen. You know, they would by default if they had to. Yeah. You know, if they got stuck on a reward together, they'd be fine. Yeah. They, actually, they had a great relationship, but they don't treat each other like that. Right. And then the same with eventually. Not until Aubrey proposed to Michelle at the <laughs> last right. know-it-alls. That's that right. right. Which which now, again, now you can... But again, the fact that they both, especially Aubrey, ha, has that. Aubrey's the kind who just... And I, I do this myself, and I think that's why it's something that speaks to me so well, is like, that. it's almost... A, it's a friend collector. Mm-hmm. Not a meat collector. A yes, friend collector, no. you know. <laughs> yes. But, but she really does. She knows... She sees what, appeal, what appeals to her and people, and she figures out a way to make the same thing happen with them to her. And it's really impressive and it's unique. And I think a lot of people are able to do that, but they don't always do it. They don't always actually exercise that. They don't always use that skill set that's really, really unique. So, um, but, you know, the other thing is like Ty, you know, she she aligned with Ty. Mm-hmm. She flipped on him really badly to the point where the entire episode after, uh, which was it, the Scott vote? When, yeah, when he voted for Michelle, um, right after that, the whole time he's like, oh, I lost my trust in Aubrey that, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and she realized the way to appeal to him is emotionally and she did it and they ended up crying together and he was right back in to the point where he actually forced a fire making at the end to make sure she got a chance to be in the final three with him. So she really had a ton of people who were number one to her one way or another whether it was just all in number one or working relationship number one. You know, like yeah. if Sydney, Sydney had, Sydney was smart to have both. She needed Michelle for someone she was undyingly loyal to and vice versa. And she needed Aubrey in case something happened to Michelle. Well, let's talk about that relationship with Ty because it's at this point in the game now. Scott and Jason are already pissed, you know, uh, coming into the vote where Debbie gets voted out from the whole thing with Nick. Uh, and now we end up with Debbie going out and it's like a small victory for those guys. They're like uh, very happy that Debbie went home and not one of them. Yep. But this is that point where Aubrey is able to get Ty to come back and work with her to the point where Ty does not give, use his half of the idol to make the superpowered idol, the Tyler Perry idol to save Scott Pollard. So how does Aubrey go about that? How does she end up making Ty end up coming back to the fold after he had been working with Kyle, Jason and Scott? Uh, one of the things was, you know, we saw at the beginning of that episode was she had appealed to his emotional side. She had appealed to everything that matters to him. She gave him a voice. She asked him what he thought. You know, everything that we saw, we came to see Scott and Jason were not doing. You know, when he said, hey, I think Aubrey's on board with us. The first thing Scott said no, without even blinking was, Hey, you know what? Let's get rid of Aubrey. There we go. Done. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of that. And not only was that the opposite of what Ty had just brought to him, but it really, really turned Ty off. And Aubrey had just given him what he was looking for in those two, especially in Scott, especially in somebody he really, really bonded with when they first swapped over onto Gondol together. And that was something I think that he realized in that moment. Oh, wow. I, these guys are just totally discounting whatever I say. Mm-hmm. And Aubrey isn't. That's an option. I can actually talk to her. I have a meaningful relationship with her that is not going to just be flipped because it's not beneficial to my allies anymore. Whereas Aubrey is always 
going to at least work with me and entertain something. She might not always agree with me. She might not even always do the same thing I'm going to do, but she's not going to just completely dismiss me the way that Scott just did or the way that Scott and Jason together just did. Yeah. And I think it was something huge that Aubrey noticed and capitalized on and that Scott and Jason completely neglected to do. And it, they paid for it. It's interesting that we talk about here with Ty that she's able to make an emotional pitch to be able to get him to come back. And we're talking about with Sydney, it sounds like she's able to make the strategic pitch. And that's a really unique trait in survivors to have the ability to do both of those things. I think in the evolution of strategy, we talk about this a lot with Spencer in Kagiyan, where Spencer was able to make the strategic pitch in that season to people, but he wasn't able to make the emotional pitch to the players sometimes like Tony was able to do. Yeah. And Aubrey, she's very perceptive of other people's emotions and is able to speak to them and, you know, change her approach based on who she's talking to. So I think that that's a very important thing that she's able to keep in her bag of tricks. She's got a personality adaptivity in her arsenal that, most people really don't have. I mean, yeah. that's a great example. Tony, for all of his <laughs> frenetic gameplay, actually does really have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, he he pulled off the biggest coup, <laughs> arguably in Survivor history, by getting Wu to take him. Sorry, but like that, was, and that was an emotional. Pitch that was exactly. To, to but he Wu. knew he read Wu. He had worked with him the entire time, and he knew that's what made sense to Wu. You know that the honor and the loyalty and all of that. You know, whereas that's not going to work on. You know, if it had been Cass, Cass would have been like. Uh, that was really, you know, I appreciate your trying to do that. I appreciate your efforts, but no, thank you mm-hmm. very much. Get on the jury and I'm going to go ahead and beat Wu or whatever, you know, but, but he, he knew who he was working with yeah. and that's something Aubrey really brought to the table. And I think she had that in spades over most of the people she was playing with yeah. who were all really impressive in their own right and very dynamic, but she had that ability holding over everybody else. Yeah, she has an empathy that she's able to really see. Yes, yes, the high EQ. <laughs> she does. Yes. She really does, though, and that's that's a very Which is ironic quality. because she's somebody that we're going to end up discussing about the problems that they supposedly have with their social game. So yep. it's an interesting thing to know. All right, so Scott Pollard ends up going out of the game, and then from that point on, Julia finally is able to be taken out, who was a thorn in Aubrey's side. Was there any sort of drama or decision to be made with taking out Julia? The only, I mean, they had to leave out a couple of people, obviously, mm-hmm. but other than that. But even, you know, even Michelle, that's pretty impressive. You know, she and she, along with Sydney, but mostly Aubrey, were able to actually get Michelle on board mm-hmm. and get her to vote out arguably mm-hmm. her tightest long-term day one ally in that game. Mm-hmm. And the only person she knew she had 100% that she didn't have anything to question she got her to get on board with them because Julia was a double agent and she was not being that subtle about it either. Mm-hmm. You know, Aubrey and Sydney separately noticed that, especially with both, you know, a little bit with Scott, definitely with Nick, definitely with Julia. They noticed that she was really, really thinking she could actually play the middle and she was doing a terrible job at it. And, but that that's dangerous. You know, it's, it's just, just as dangerous as the way Debbie yeah. was, 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 betraying them unknowingly julia was deliberately doing it and both of those were obstacles that needed to get out of the way you know and it's interesting with julia because you know we ended up seeing so much of this with will coming into this season with the resume but i think that julia was a little bit the same thing where she was trying to 
hey, you guys think I'm just a kid out here? I'm 20 years old or however old she was. <laughs> 18. Uh, yeah, when, when, when she was playing. Yeah. I think that we're seeing with these young players is they say like, oh, everybody thinks I don't know what I'm doing or I can't do anything because I'm so young. I have to try to control more things because I'm such a young person just to show everybody. Right. To overcompensate. Yeah. For what, for what, and again, as Jeff always says, and is so true, perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And it's, what, what are you projecting though? I mean, you don't have to do any of those things, but if you're projecting this desperation, like we saw Julia do, like we saw Will do, you know, I'm not saying they're going to give you a million dollars, but you gave Jenna Maraska a million dollars, didn't you? And she was 21, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's not unheard of. Mm-hmm. It's not an insane thing. It's how did you get there and how confident are you and stop posturing, stop trying to position yourself and just do it. And I think that was one of the things. And again, by the way, I'm 20 years old, you know, we're, yeah. we're in our late thirties and we, and I, I, I can't say I wouldn't make equally as really cringeworthy mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like if people are watching me on TV, if I were me, but those are young people things. Those are something that, yes, understandably somebody who's either just out of high school or barely into college might very well do, mm-hmm. but they still did it. And they're dealing with some pretty impressive people right. who've had a lot more life experience and who know what they're doing and who have more inherent self-awareness and more perceptive insight. So. So the final six, Kyle Jason is going to go out, but there's a little bit of some talk about maybe going in a different direction that how tempted is Aubrey to do something different here and make a move that's not the obvious one to take out Kyle Jason. She was, I mean, she was a thousand percent in favor of Michelle going. Mm-hmm. The problems were Sydney and ironically, Joe. Yeah. Um, Joe just Joe for both. Uh, I guess I heard this in your interview with Michelle. They were a lot closer than we ever saw. Right. I mean, the editors really, really left out some things that actually ended up playing out big time that we that we were unaware of. You know, just there was so much going on. I understand that. But one of the things was Joe and Michelle were a bit tighter than we ever saw. The second thing was he and Jason really butted heads. That was not a good relationship. Yeah. You know, he was completely beyond done with him after he sabotaged the camp and doused the fire, all of that. So Joe, who was, as we saw, not flexible by a long shot and he was not going to do it, but Sydney really needed Michelle and she no longer needed Jason. She thought that was a pretty dead relationship. So I think between the two things, Aubrey realized, I don't think I can get these numbers to work. That was the other thing. Even if she could swallow betraying Sydney if she could swallow kind of betraying Joe and hoping to get both of them back or at least hoping to like deal with Sydney, get Joe, mm-hmm. she didn't have the numbers. They weren't yeah. there because that many people were not going to actually vote Michelle out. So even with Ty's double vote, they're going to tie and it wasn't going to actually happen. Did Aubrey make a mistake not telling Ty what was up because she herself and Sydney and Michelle and Joe, they're going to put four votes on Kyle Jason Ty is going to use his vote doubler or his extra vote and put two votes on Michelle. Was that a mistake on on her part in any way to not pull Ty aside like Ty? Look, that thing you want to do, it's not going to happen tonight. It was absolutely a mistake. It was a mistake she was able to correct. Mm -hmm. Of course, correct. But it was a mistake. I mean, we saw the entire, I would say, first three quarters of the next episode, which ends up seeing Joe medevaced. But the whole time. Ty is just confessional after confessional, talking with Michelle, talking with Sydney a little bit, talking about how betrayed he feels by Aubrey. And it was her skills in appealing to his emotional side that got him back in with her. 
But, you know, if she hadn't been able to do that, she might have been in real, real, real trouble. And it was a mistake. It just was a mistake that wasn't a fatal blow to her by any stretch. What's the lesson she learns from that? You can't betray an ally like that and think there's no consequences mm-hmm. or assume that there won't be or assume that, you know, like Joe, she had done before, we, you know, the Peter vote, for example, back the last pre-merge vote. Joe got over it. He wasn't thrilled, but mm-hmm. he got over it. Ty's not Joe. They're mm-hmm. not going to think the same way. And you have to work with every single person and work with their personality and adapt accordingly if you want to keep going in this game. You cannot just assume anybody is going to just see it from a purely pragmatic point of view the way you do. You know, I, I would have the same problem if if it were me. I would, you know, I, I feel like it's pretty easy to understand the different dynamics with each of your friends and to treat them accordingly. But at the same time, you have to remember that all the time. You can't, and especially in a game like Survivor, where one little misstep can mean you're gone. That's it. You know, that means you're you're gone on day 30. Four, instead of getting to the end is something little like that. Now, Aubrey was able to course correct, but that could have gone the other way too. You know, she did a great job. She really, really, really came through on that. But And Ty's an important vote here going into the final five because he is potentially a swing vote yep. between herself He's and exactly Joe swing vote. and then Sydney and Michelle. And so it certainly makes sense why Sydney and Michelle maybe uh, wanted to see him get hung out to dry by people he felt closer to in Joe and Aubrey. But then everything is going to change uh, because of the medevac of Joe. Now, you mentioned that Aubrey's able to, again, reach out to Ty, get him back in. There's every indication that Aubrey and Ty and Joe would have voted together yep. against whoever doesn't have immunity out of Sydney or Michelle. Correct. Yep. Well, and and that was the the challenge that ended up being the final four reward. Mm-hmm. Pretty much appeared to be the one that would have been the final five immunity, which yeah. Aubrey won. Right. So hypothetically, she could have gotten Michelle out, which was her main you know choice. But so the the Joe medevac was a lot different than Neil. Yeah. That was horrible too for her and for everybody and for Joe. But that actually made a huge difference. It could have really been a game changer for her (laughs) yes yes so but it's interesting about her that she has two of her key allies along the way in neil and joe and you could say at both points her number one ally in the game both of them get taken out via a medical evacuation but this one is so big because she ends up forfeiting the numerical advantage that she has at five Ty also it doesn't get to use his idol, which he was going to use uh, at potentially at the final five uh, to protect him. So she ends up now in the final four and she's headed into what is potentially a 2 2 split. You know, maybe best case scenario, she can get Sydney to turn against Michelle, but the Joe medevac changes everything. How does she deal with that? Does she realize when it happens how bad that is for her game? Oh, yeah. I mean, ironically, now, looking back on it and how long ago that actually happened, she does say right after Joe goes and right going into everything and when Michelle wins, all of those things combined, she said, this is a real game changer and this could kill my game. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says, she Double actually true. says game changer. Yeah. yeah. But she also, she knows she might be really screwed. I believe she says that verbatim. Right. I, I might be screwed. And by the grace of her getting Ty back on and actually really getting him on, he is fully on Team Aubrey. Um, that's the only reason she gets to go to fire. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, the other two, it was, a, you know, it was a, a Sydney. Sydney actually said, uh, you watch her in, in a confessional. She said, my ideal final three would have been Aubrey and Ty, but that's not an option now because Michelle won. So for all of her, you know, it, it, I did think it seemed a little hypocritical the way she kind of treated it as, well, Michelle never wrote my name down. It's well, you you wrote Aubrey's name down too. You kind of you know. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean that's they kind of ended up having to go against. And I love listen. I yeah. love Sydney. I don't remember loving a Final Four this much in a long time too. That was another. It was a great, and you could tell Joe, Jeff just loved. Mm-hmm. He really loved this season too, but he loved that Final Four. He was really pulling for them, even just in the reward. You know, he's yelling for each of them, and but it was it was tough. I mean, everybody had a valid place in that, mm-hmm. and. Anytime, anytime you see the final four go to fire to get that. And, yeah. you know, and, and Ty noticed it the most. Jeff was being real cagey about whether or not it was a final two or three. I mean, you guys were every single, whether, you know, it was you and Steven, you and Jeremy, uh, everybody you were talking to around then thought there was a very viable chance it was going to be a final two. Yeah. So that's another whole obstacle to have to deal with then. How did that end up changing what she was doing? Well, I mean, first, and were the players also thinking about it as a final two and final three, or was that very, only? There were varying degrees. Ty thought it the most. Ty mm-hmm. noticed, and I noticed it again. You know, on the rewatch, I noticed it again. Jeff said nothing about that. Was your last tribal mm-hmm. council? That was. He said none of the usual things, right? Because they had this vote out of juror. Yes, you know, whole <laughs> kink in the armor there that they were going to throw at them. But you know, none of them knew that because this was this was the first time it ever happened. That's what she said as a game changer was actually when they arrived at the point where they found out that Michelle was going to get to vote out a jury member. And, yeah. you know, and again, she and Aubrey were within one second of each other, mm-hmm. that reward challenge, but they still, you know, they didn't know. And it was, Ty thought it the most and Aubrey kind of was realizing that she's such a astute fan of the game. And I don't, Sydney and Michelle didn't seem too worried about it, but I think that was probably partially just not being that in, attuned to it, but also, I'm sure just wishful thinking, just saying like, no, 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 we're mm-hmm. here, we're, no, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're not going to have to. But then once it was the fire and they never heard anything, that was kind of that. Sydney's gone. There's three of them. Michelle is, she's feeling pretty good. Aubrey is tentatively feeling good. And Ty has noticed that Jeff has absolutely not said what he usually said that indicates all you have left is final tribal council. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that. And he starts getting Aubrey on board. And Michelle, I think, is just trying to wrap her head around how she could possibly get through another one. Then by the time the next morning hits before, before they have to go to that last reward challenge. Now Michelle is also freaking out. All three of them are freaking out. Mm-hmm. They get tree mail. It says, Hey, one more challenge. So of yeah. course there's, it doesn't indicate anything. It basically implies this is a final two now. So they're of course all, you know, losing their minds as anybody would be. And when they get there, they all, it was actually amazing. They, they all were so elated that no matter what happened, they were all there. Once Jeff told them mm-hmm. that this was not an immunity challenge, they were all so, yeah. they all hugged each other, you know, and it was, but yeah, that's when Aubrey said, oh, actually, after she lost it by a fraction of a second, her mm-hmm. stack dropped. Oh, this is a game changer. Right. This is a problem. You know, I, I could lose now because somebody who either is definitely voting for me or might have some important influence for me is not going to be there anymore. And that Michelle 
ultimately does absolutely make the right decision. Now, when we get to that final tribal council, um, I think a lot of people felt like Aubrey had this in the bag. We spent, you know, weeks talking about this after the fact of Michelle versus Aubrey. What happened when you went back and watched the season? Do you get any more clarity about why the jury was voting the way they voted? (sighs) No. Uh, You get a little bit while you're watching the season. There are little things, but it's very, very individualized. Little things like you do see a lot more of Sydney and Michelle Mm -hmm. and how close they are. Yeah. Mostly in the previous Land Survivor. That's the most telling section of anything of the edit every single week. That more than anything else. And then you get to episode 14, Mm -hmm. which is the last one before the finale or it's the finale episode before the reunion and it's set up so much pro Aubrey Mm -hmm. that it feels like a legitimate blindside even the final tribal council other than Scott but Scott's the last one and Scott pulls a bit of a half Murphy type thing Mm -hmm. and type thing (laughs) and he you know he really Ends up stumping for Michelle. Yeah. But out of nowhere, nobody else really showed you that that was going to be the way it went. Mm -hmm. But when you're done watching that, especially on a rewatch, all of a sudden it makes a little bit more sense. Nick's post-game interview was really, really, really helpful in solidifying what happened. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was you you put alpha people on the jury. You put these people who are used to being the biggest baddest ass whatever in the room right and they're not gonna they don't take it well when somebody who's either a bit more beta or has a skill set like intelligence or really deceptive challenge strength is actually able to best them mm-hmm. and i think that was a huge part of it and michelle was not an offensive choice they did they, they you, could, you could tell rewatching it you could tell they were jason especially i saw this you could tell they were teeing her up to give mm-hmm. them something that they could hold on to to justify the vote. And that's okay. That's that's how the vote works. I mean, that's unfortunate. You know, to, Julia and Jason have both said after the fact in watching, if they had watched the game, they probably would have voted for Aubrey, hands down. But that's not how the game works. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's just, and that's okay. And she had to deal with what she had to deal with. And had she either gone, let's say she'd gone to the end. I don't even know if this is remotely possible a lot of things would have had to happen and it probably wouldn't have gone this way but in a vacuum she goes then with jason and debbie mm-hmm. she wins probably by a landslide mm-hmm. it's a lot to one or two to zero you know aubrey jason debbie much like what she ended up with on the other side of with michelle and ty but you can't see i mean you have to get there too you can't see that she still she played an incredible game she got to the end on her first try with a really tough bunch of people in a really difficult season. She got a hundred thousand dollars. She unfortunately didn't get as much as tied. No, no, (laughs) because she didn't have Mark to take Mark the chicken. No, was also that was fun to rewatch too. I forgot about Mark. The Sia thing, yeah. <laughs> the or, Sia or, thing and just Mark in general. Yeah. And, you know, that was, yeah, that was right. an interesting. So here's what I want to know with Aubrey. You know, she seems like she's a very introspective person that you would think that she would watch the season play out and that she would be able to take a look at what she possibly did wrong and make an adjustment. In your mind, what do you think that adjustment that she makes would be? First of all, was you could almost see on her face 
and also in her action, her subsequent actions. But you could see what she would realize in real time when she made a mistake or when she needed to make an adjustment or when something went really, really awry that she knew was her fault. You know, whether it was the crossing out Julia or, you know, how how Liz felt about her or going deeper into the game, you know, how how answering Sydney the way she answered her in a final tribal. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that might've changed, but she, but I'm sure she watched that the way I watched it when I, when I was just rewatching it, I'm sure she saw that and said, if I just said this to Sydney, if I just owned it, if I just said, no, I was always going to vote you out, you're a bigger, whatever it Mm -hmm. was, you could watch her course correct in the moment, which is really pretty unique. Not every, not every player is able to do that. Very few of them are able to do that. But I think, you know, she made a comment in your, her interview with you, hers with Josh, for sure, I believe with Gordon Holmes. She said pretty clearly how much she learned. And she also had a lot of time, you know. So for somebody who was actually aware enough while she was playing to understand the mistakes she made and the, the, the domino effect that they were going to have, to be able to watch and learn from that and have this whole life-altering perspective on that, I think she's had, unlike a lot of people who went back pretty pretty soon um, she's had a lot more time than I think people are going to think about because she had a whole year just between filming and airing mm-hmm. that people usually don't have. She got to watch that all play out. And, you know, she also, she had the benefit of not even being the last, you know, Michaela and Zeke, mm-hmm. nobody saw them at all. So yeah. she's not even the newest people. Everybody out there at least got to see her. So she learned a ton, I think, and she'll know now, don't ignore anybody. You know, like little little things like, don't be wishy-washy. I don't care how not like lack of confidence you actually feel. You got to project it anyway. It doesn't matter. Acting as if eventually is. Fake it until you make exactly. it. That's right. And she'll do that. Okay. So now we talked about what she's going to do differently, but I'm really curious to know with her, because I think it could go either way. How will she be perceived by the other people who are out there? Are people perceiving her as sort of, hey, she was the quirky character who came into her own. What a great story. What a great person to have around here now that she has this confidence. Sort of like how I look at Sari coming out of uh, the first season she played in Panama, going into Micronesia. I don't think that she was perceived as the threat. People thought of her as, hey, she's the the woman who got off the couch. Like, uh, we love Sari. Or do you think that she'll be perceived as the threat? The you should have won person boy, we've got to watch out for Aubrey here because I saw that she almost just won a season and she's going to be a major threat that we have to deal with sooner than later. Obviously, it could go either of those ways. I mean, it, yes. it's it, she's got a pretty disparate group of personalities that she's starting with. She's got people like Tony and Sandra who really should be holding on to any numbers and loyalty they can possibly get because for obvious reasons, because they're Tony and Sandra. And she's got someone like Caleb, who she never played with, but they know each other, of course. You know, they 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 were on the same season. They have that inherent bond. I know that they have some sort of friendship. And Caleb's also equally is unknown because he didn't really end up doing anything. I mean he he was he was gone before he had a chance to show anybody. He never went to tribal council. I think that she's gonna be a threat but she's got much, much bigger threats mm-hmm. sitting around her. She's also got her challenge prowess that's going to appeal to somebody like Caleb, somebody like a Malcolm, somebody like Troyzan, some you know, uh, people like Sandra who actually need that around, people like Michaela who respect that. She's sitting next to people like Sierra Easton and Varner, mm-hmm. who are both shady and have shown 
you know, that they will scramble, 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 but also massive challenge liabilities. I mean, they're worse than Sandra when it comes to that. They're not, you know, so she's also, she's in kind of a pretty cushy position. think she's position. protected well I based do. on the people around her? Well, and also she's easy, she's easy to work. You know, I, I actually see, maybe it's just they're coming from Northeast Ivy League schools or whatever, but she and Malcolm, mm-hmm. I could see being a really natural working relationship pair. Yeah. I feel like they would have a lot to talk about, but they also, they're open, they're flexible, they're both good in challenges, but yeah. they're also not, they don't come armed with like a laundry list of immunity challenge wins. Yeah. They, you know what I mean? They're deceptive. both good. of them can get along with anybody. anybody. Yep. Yeah. Which is huge. So I kind of see if they, if, you know, if they wanted to, if they're smart and they are smart, they could be kind of the hub of that group. And each of them could, you know, I, I could see Caleb would probably like Malcolm mm-hmm. just for obvious reasons. You know, that's somebody who would appeal to him. Aubrey and Malcolm, which I just described. Caleb and Aubrey have that inherent co-wrong mm-hmm. bond. Michaela is an unknown. She's going to be very valuable. Like mm-hmm. Michaela's more valuable than quite a few of the men on that tribe, I think. You know, I've heard Sandra and Troyzan are friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and Troyzan, I know. Troyzan's another one. I I really I didn't love how he played the first time and all that, but I know he's a big fan. He's been he's been really screwed as far as getting back on for a long time he's going to be taking this very very seriously mm-hmm. yeah i could see him having really been humbled and take a bit more of a like a jeremy type approach where he's mm-hmm. he's actually doing everything right he is being quiet when he needs to he's doing what he needs to do he's being there for people he's not making it about him there's a lot more wild cards on there ahead of aubrey and i feel something would have to go catastrophically wrong for her to be in trouble on that and then original tribe. Okay. I feel like she's got a lot of avenues to work with. Aubrey and Team TV. Do you think is that something? <laughs> is that a relationship that you think could work, or do you think that he is the kind of person that she's worked with a lot of different people, but never ever anybody like Tony? <laughs> Tony's like a Jason and Ty had a baby. <laughs> some some wow. weird some weird hybrid of Tony comes out, but not quite that. I don't know. There's nobody yeah. like Tony. I don't I don't have a yeah. But so Tony's another one. Tony, for all of his ridiculous frenetic gameplay, Tony cares about succeeding and winning. Mm-hmm. So as long as he doesn't do what I expect is more of a Varner Sierra type thing to do, mm-hmm. which is open your mouth too much and screw yourself and make yourself a very, very, very easy first vote, second vote, third vote, whatever, he's gonna know. He needs to just have numbers. So he'll know Sandra is a good idea because they're kind of in the same boat. He'll know Aubrey has her head on straight. He'll know Malcolm, same thing. You know, Michaela, he'll like because she's big and boisterous, but huge challenge asset and mm-hmm. a huge threat. And that he could throw her under the bus by just saying, well, we don't know what she did. We don't know. And then the other thing is Tony, Tony could play himself right out of it because Tony could get the Christy Smith's treatment. And if he starts being a complete lunatic, yeah. he can all say, you know what, Tony, I don't think we need you that much. Michaela's a lot stronger than you. I mean, I'm just picking her at random, yeah. but, you know, technically that's true. And if they're already done with, you know, people like Varner and Sierra, for example, let's, mm-hmm. let's say they go to the, they get, they have a real bad run. They go to the first three travel mm-hmm. or something. I mean, Tony's going to have to be careful. Yeah. Aubrey is in a good position and Tony's the one who should be looking to use Aubrey, not the other way around necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think she, she, and ironically enough, Maybe Caleb. Yeah. Because Caleb doesn't have any real negative 
aspects for mm-hmm. this game. <laughs> you know? Right. I don't think anybody went back and watched BB-16. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> Only but, Jen Manning. Yeah, except for Jen. Thanks, yeah. Jen. Uh, but, you know, but for those of us who suffered through it. Yeah. You know, but other than that, you know, listen, Caleb does anything Caleb-y, fine. Yeah. But other than that, he's in probably a good position Aubrey's in a really good position and she gets along with everybody. And that's and huge. You don't think there's any chance that maybe for whatever reason, we never saw them in the game together, that Aubrey and Beast Mode Cowboy are not on the same page for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, no, their no. frequencies are off. And then for whatever reason, he thinks that maybe he's not seen a lot of Survivor and he might be like, oh, boy, she's the best player. Uh, we got to get rid of her. I feel like Caleb is one of the most easily influenced people. Now, Aubrey, in that sense, I actually do hope she's seen a little bit of Derek at work mm-hmm. on BB 16 because Beast Mode is one of those people. He's got tunnel vision, but that tunnel vision could be turned into a different tunnel. Mm-hmm. You can, you can move him. You just have to know how to use it. Yeah. And if she knows that, and if she has seen that, and if she figures that out, if anybody really on that entire tribe figures that out, they're good. They've got him. But I think let's say, let's say he's, he's more likely to listen to a guy. Let's just be honest. He just is. Let's say it's Malcolm. Malcolm seems like the most natural person he would gravitate toward but malcolm's gonna malcolm's smart he knows aubrey's a good person to gravitate toward malcolm could vouch for aubrey and then caleb by default Mm -hmm. says cool i think it would take a bunch of people and a bunch of the right people to sway caleb away from her Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah i don't think that's a natural out of the gate problem i think if caleb has any out of the gate problems with someone like aubrey or really anybody that's going to be a caleb problem and then Caleb's in trouble. Let's talk about the other co-wrong people that are in this game, but not on her tribe. We touched on Debbie earlier. You said that you think Debbie is going to have much bigger problems in this game than Aubrey. But hypothetically speaking, if they end up on a swap tribe, if they end up on a merge, do you think that whatever went wrong in co-wrong, do you think that they that's water under the bridge? Or do you think that Debbie is still going to be having an axe to grind with Aubrey? And is Aubrey ready to say, I'll work with Debbie in this game, even though she didn't want to work with her in the last game? Aubrey would be open to it. It's going to depend on what's going on with Debbie. I think it's a very one-sided thing. I think if Debbie could get out of her own way. Do you think Debbie holds a grudge? Is she the type of person that holds a grudge? I mean, she's so all over the place. It's hard to say. That's the thing. It's I don't know. I mean, we don't even know if she lost... 12 or 25 pounds. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? There's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on with Debbie. Mm -hmm. There's a lot with a lot of survivors. There's a lot in Korong. There's a lot probably here. There's a lot everywhere. But there's a lot in life. But (laughs) I don't think Debbie could sway enough other people who Aubrey has already gotten to like her. And really, it's all about likability at the end of the day. That's that's Mm -hmm. really, really what everything comes down to. And I think as long as, again... I really think Aubrey would have to screw up to make Debbie be able to, you know, either get rid of her or do something against Aubrey. I don't think, Mm -hmm. I don't think Aubrey, Aubrey's not going to count anybody out, but she's going to have a real healthy fear of working with her and rightfully so. Whereas Ty, as much as to just jump to him real quick, Ty is a different animal in that Ty probably shouldn't have let that go to rocks. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ty against Sydney. Ty actually probably gets some votes in that. He shouldn't have, or I'm sorry, not rocks, fire. Right. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have let that go there. But he said himself on the joint interview with you, I was just too in love with Aubrey. I couldn't, I couldn't 
let yeah. her go. I couldn't do that. So now, that being said, I do think that specifically in that exit interview that I do with Aubrey and Ty, where Stephen Fishback will always say the exit interviews are not, <laughs> not canon. canon. <laughs> I think it, they're especially not canon when two people went to the final three with each other and both know they're going to go play together in another season in about 10 days. I think that Ty, for, you know, that you could, people like could say, okay, oh, Ty doesn't know what he's doing with certain things. Ty knows not to like say, you know what? Aubrey is just, uh, you know, I, I knew that she was, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> she was somebody, I felt like I could beat her in the end or anything like that. He's, uh, so of course he's like, uh, oh, yeah. like everything is great. I love Aubrey so much. No, I couldn't say point. no to her. I forgot how soon you, they were going you know, after they, no, that like their bags are practically packed for season 34 at the time. They're both on the line talking to me about like critiquing each other's games. So right. it was a love fest. Yeah, that may, that's a good point. That's, yeah. a, that's a really, you know, they're already mentally in Fiji. And <laughs> yeah, <they're>, so <laughs> that's a good point. Well, again, Ty has his own very scary, erratic. <laughs> sure. You know, tendencies. Sure. Would that, Aubrey that, work with him again? I think she would. It was a lot of work on her part. I think, what, two, three times does she have to go and talk him to, back off the ledge? Yeah, well, she has to kill herself to get him back on with her, too, yeah. a couple of times. And I don't know if it's ideal, but at the same time, who, you know, mm-hmm. let, let's say after two, three episodes, there's a, there's a swap. There's whatever they end up doing with Game Changers. It's going to be pretty epic, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. And they end up on a tribe together. Yeah, that's a devil she knows. Yeah. That's a devil she's dealt with before. Anybody else from the other tribe that you want to touch on that you think is a particularly good or bad fit for Aubrey? Maybe I just want to believe this, but I feel like Sari. Sari? Yeah. yeah. I, I well, that's like really now, now you're getting see... into like fantasy talk of yeah, yeah. like. No, but, uh, I, but I really, really, really could see them yeah. actually working together. Zeke, I could see. Yeah. I just feel I, I they've got a lot of a, a similar mentality mm-hmm. and approach to the game and a healthy respect for. Yeah, it's a huge, important game and we're not here to screw around, but. It's a game and I respect how the game works and I'm not going to get butthurt over whatever things are, you know, but being able to appeal to people on that level, as well as just getting people, you know, are with you for the right reasons, mm-hmm. not to sound all bachelor, but, <laughs> but, but people really who are there, who everybody, you can tell everybody here, you know, you can assemble a group and see how everybody in there is benefiting from it. You don't want to be working with, you know, somebody like, well, you Zeke or Sari, for mm-hmm. example, you don't want them if you can't make it real palpable that there's an advantage in it for them, if not primarily for them, if that's how you can position it, why this makes sense for them to work with you. You know, um, I don't think it'll be okay for all, they're not all going to be able to work together for a long time because they're mm-hmm. all each other's competition, direct competition. But you also don't, you want those people on the jury too. Yeah. You don't want, I'm just going to use him because he's right. There. You know, you don't necessarily want Ozzy unless you're a huge challenge beast. Because, you know, that's what's important to him, you know? So if he actually gets to the jury, that's everybody's fault for letting him get there in the first place. But if he gets there, you kind of know what you're dealing with. And that's that's something. But it's one of those that you have to think about, who am I going against? I can't go against the person who's won six immunity wins because I know I already lost that vote because that's what's important to him. And that's okay. That's his prerogative. But you have to look at things like that. You've got to get – you know, Andrea is another one. Andrea is a perfect example. She got blindsided in Caramoan. She congratulated them in the moment. She was respectful about it and voted for the guy who clearly played the best game from a totally game respect level. So I think there's a lot of people to play around with. I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of the same mentality. Then there's a lot of wild cards, 
You know, there's a lot of like we don't really know what CR Sarah. Who knows? Who knows? Do we don't? You know, Brad, no idea. Okay, Jess. So we've talked all through Opry's game in Korong. What she might be thinking going into this new season. What other people are maybe thinking about her. I want to get a prediction from you. You sound like you're pretty bullish on Aubrey's return. So how do you think this ends for her? I think she goes far. I don't know who it's against. I don't know how they get her out, but I feel like she's, I don't think she, she's not going to get that lucky again. It's, it's, it's hard. I want Mm -hmm. her. I obviously I would love her to win. I would love her to win. I feel like she'll do well, but the people who are going to do well in this game are going to eventually either, know better yeah, and know that that's not the kind of person you go against. That's not going to happen twice. There's no chance that woman in a final three loses a second time. She knows what she's doing and everybody else knows that they probably can't out talk her Mm -hmm. in a final three. So I feel like I hope for her sake that she, she has a nice long run that she feels is worth it and she will feel like it's worth it. She's a huge fan. I'm going to say final five. Okay. All right. Look, it's hard to be, that type of player and do a deep run twice. And that's why I always give Sari so much credit yes. because oh, yeah. that she has, she is this type of player and she has two deep runs on her resume. Whereas, you know, there's other people that, you know, there it's easier to be the person that is like, you know, a solid player, but not really considered to be like a, a strategist. And then, you know, get there and get there twice. Like a Keith nail has to, you know, two yeah. really deep runs, but both times, I think people are like, ah, we're not worried about Keith. But she's the type of player that you, you have worry to worry about. about. Yeah. And if she can make it to the end a second time, uh, what a testament it would be to her. Absolutely. No, I I, I could not be more thrilled if she did. Mm-hmm. Or, or Suri, really. Either right. of those. But that's a tough road. Tall order. People know tall order. They, 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 they've been paying attention. They know what they're up against. And yeah. An uphill climb, yes, it would be, at the very, least. Very steep uphill climb. Jess, uh, well, this was so much fun to go through everything with Aubrey's uh, whole story through Survivor. Is there anything else that you feel like that we didn't get to talk about or anything else that you want to make sure people know? No, I feel like I've probably <laughs> talked enough about Aubrey. Okay. Uh, no, but no, I've, lo- I've loved rewatching her and I, I, I love... Uh, I love how much she's just such a fan of the game Mm -hmm. and that you could tell she was going back out. It was nice to see somebody who wasn't this overt, obvious fan favorite going into it, who ended up being, you know, Jeff, Jeff called her a favorite on the reunion episode. And it was great right before they did the montage. And it was great seeing that. It was great seeing somebody who was definitely a much less likely and obvious overt fan favorite. And she got to go back out again. And she'd do it again. Uh, you know, she, she's like, she is like Sandra in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, San, Sandra obviously doesn't have to prove anything. No. And, but she'd play again. She'd play again. She'd play, so is Aubrey. And I love that. And I love knowing that she's going to give us another good run. All right. Well, Jess, thank you so much for all of the work you put into this on the rewatching and the re-listening. So I know everybody really appreciates all of the time that you put into making this happen. I really appreciate that you came out here to see me in person and do this interview. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me out here. I had a, a absolute blast doing the research. I had so much fun doing this and I'm honored to actually be at rap headquarters right now. Yes. Okay. Well, soak it all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else? I think, I think everyone's probably going to be good to go listening to all. <laughs> okay. You think even Dan Bueno is going to like it? Dan Bueno, if you have any problems with it, 
I don't know. I guess I, I guess I dropped the ball somewhere along the line. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Just thank you again. Thank you, Rob. Great job and good luck to Aubrey. Good luck, Aubrey. I'm pulling for you. You're a game changer. All right, everybody, there you have it. Jessica Z, very fun to do one of these. The only one of these that I ended up doing in person, which definitely gave it a little bit of a different experience. Very fun to go through the game of Aubrey Bracco. Okay, so coming up next, we're going to do a deep dive into Troy Zan. Of course, uh, Josh Wiggler and I extensively talked about Troy Zan's game back in the Evolution of Strategy, Chapter 24. Now he is back here for a return trip. It was looking like that maybe Troyzan could have been one of the second chancers. He did not get voted back into America, but this time we are taking the vote out of the equation and Troyzan is going to be back. So we'll go through all of that with Derek. As you're listening, a big solid that you guys could do for the podcast. There's a survey up at podcastone.com. There's a big old banner about the survey at Podcast One trying to get some demographic information about the listeners of the podcast that would greatly help out the show and help advertisers know a little bit more about the people that are listening so we can get matched up with the appropriate sponsors for our shows. So if you wanted to do that and help out the show for Rob as a podcast or for post-show recaps, you can go to podcastone.com slash my survey or just go to podcastone.com and click on the banner. All right, so let's talk Troy Zan. This is my podcast. Let's go back to my interview with Derek Blaze about Troy. All right, everybody. I'm excited as well today to talk about another one of our game changers that we've been looking at, that this is somebody who has really had a lot of close calls with, I guess, going on Survivor the first time and then even more close calls with going back a second time. But he has finally made it back to his island. And today to talk about the return of Troyzan is somebody who is a huge Troyzan supporter Please welcome to the podcast, Derek Blaze. Derek, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Okay, Derek, excited to talk about Troy Zan today with you, especially because, you know, we got a lot of people who wanted to talk to us about all these different game changers. I think I forget if it was like over 200 people wrote to us and said they wanted to be on these uh, game changers calls. But a lot of them were like, well, let me talk about this person because I don't think a lot of people are going to want to talk about this person. But you... You today want to talk about Troy Zan because you are a big Troy Zan fan and a real fan of his game, not just the person. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of him. I mean, I think he has a great game. I think he's a great person. I think he's a great all-around player. Okay, good. Because a lot of people, I think, that in the Survivor super-duper fan community, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that sort of roll their eyes, oh, Troy Zan, which maybe even, you know, the hate has gone too far on Troy Zan. And so let's go ahead and talk about it. I know we heard it during the second chance campaign and I know that it wore on Troy Zan. I remember getting, you know, texts from him around that time. Like, boy, you know, some of these people are really killing me out there. I know it wears on him. So let's go ahead and give people a chance to see what you see in Troy Robertson and his return to the game. First, Derek, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, currently I'm working overnights. Um, I do a stock crew manager job there, and I feel like I relate a lot to Troy Zan. We all have a really competitive spirit, and I think I embody the same spirit as him. That's one of the reasons why I connected with him so much. I mean, with me, like even if I'm playing a game of checkers, I always want to win no matter what I'm playing. And I think Troy Zan is kind of the same person, so that's really what connected me to him. I think we have kind of the same social mishaps sometimes, 
Mm-hmm. I used to play online reality games a lot, which I don't anymore. But when I did play them, I would focus too much on winning the game and I focus less on the relationships. And sometimes that would bite me in the butt. But no more. That phase is over. Yeah, that phase is over. That pretty much started when I started college. So before college, I was playing them a lot. But once I started college, I kind of got out of it. Okay. And then what about your survivor watching career? Have you been watching it the whole way through or when did you get in? I actually did not. I started in Australia, so I never saw Borneo until after the first couple of oh, seasons. That, that pretty much counts. I mean, yeah. that's really that uh, very uh, going way back. And even in the first time through that Troy's in with somebody that really appealed to you on the first watch of One World or to see somebody that after watching the season multiple times, you ended up uh, really falling for. Definitely. On the first watch, I was rooting for Troy's head all the way. I was hoping that he would take down the women and win the game. Oddly enough, I was also rooting for Jonas at the time. You know, Jonas is kind of a strange one a little bit, but <laughs> I rooted for him a little bit too. But Jonas and Troy's were my guys. And then during the rewatch, I fell in love with Troy's head even more than I had originally. Hey, Derek, where's my chance to return? I was a game changer. No, we're going to talk about Troy Zan. And let me tell you the rap on Troy Zan, and then I'll give you a chance to defend your boy. And so a lot of people say, you know, Troy Zan, he had the bad social game that sure he was good in the challenges, but he had the bad social game. And that's what allowed Kim to get her forces uh, where they needed to be. Because Troy Zan was unable to win over the hearts and minds of the other people that were out there in one world. And also, Derek, a little bit of the bad sport. He gets that. The B word gets thrown around. A little, a little bitter Troy Zan. That's the, again, that's the rap on Troy Zan. I think the bitterness is a little bit more fair if you don't understand him as a person. But I think you have to look more into how he thinks about things. Like... Myself, personally, I can understand and relate to what he was going through perfectly. I liken it to sort of um, whenever you have someone that betrays you, like say a friend, you know, betrays you in a bad way, you're obviously going to feel better towards that friend and you're going to kind of lash out a little bit. I feel like that's basically what Troy's did because he thought Kim and Chelsea were really with him. He felt hurt about that. So I feel like with Troy's it was less about being a bad sport, but he was more hurt and he channeled that hurt into his competitive spirit. Is that something that you feel like that he can ever change up? Because you know what? Even outside of, you know, a Kim Spradlin type game, you know, there are going to be some setbacks along the way in any game of Survivor. Do you feel like that Troy Zan is going to be able to have a game where if something doesn't go his way, if he's on the wrong side of a vote, that he'll be able to move on and not go crazy on people? I definitely do. I mean, Troy Zane even talks about in some of his interviews that he could have actually been the first person gone, but he worked his way out of that because he was between two different alliances. He was between the Roosters and he was between the Misfits. And he actually worked himself in a position that he was a swing vote instead of being the person that was actually targeted. What about the social game of Troy Zan? Is it as bad as people have sort of in the retelling of this season? Remember, as you've gone back and watched Survivor One World. No, not nearly. I mean, until Jay goes out, Troyzan doesn't have anything at all in his game that is bad socially. Early on, he is friends with everyone except Michael. Um, Michael's pretty much the only person the entire season that hates him all season. But besides Michael, pretty much everyone liked him. And especially one of the points you can see this at is the merge episode when he wins immunity. If you freeze frame it, every single person is smiling from ear to ear except Michael. Let's go back and uh, talk through Survivor One World and sort of get a sense of Troy Zan's origin story. 
So he comes into this season, and again, it's a really unique season in that we have the tribes divided into men versus women, but they all live on the same beach, and there's a lot of friction that goes on between the two sides. And then even within the each tribe, you know, there's like sort of like the misfits and the roosters going on in that male tribe. Do you think that dividing the season by men or and women do you think that played into Troy's Ann's strengths or that was not the best way for a season to start for him personally? I think it probably wasn't the best way for him to start personally because he is a swimsuit photographer. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he would have been better off starting with some of the women. I think, say, perhaps if he started with like Chelsea and we started with Sabrina, some of those women, he would have actually had a bond with them that stuck throughout the game because he felt that he had that bond when he switched over to Solani. But if he actually started with them, I think that bond would have been true and Troyzan wouldn't have been screwed over as much. You know, that's interesting, Derek, because I think a lot of the conventional wisdom going into this season is that, okay, well, you have on the one tribe, Brad and JT and Ozzy are going to want to bro down. And then you have Troyzan, who he's going to want to bro down with, whether it's Malcolm or Beast Mode Cowboy and wants to meet up with the other bros. But here Troyzan was in a season that started men versus women. Do you think that that is inherently part of Troyzan's personality that he wants to go with the guys? Or do you think that we might be all wrong about this? I think that would be all wrong to look at it that way. I mean, I think Troyzan definitely can get along with some guys, but I think he has a personality that can, can also get along with women. I mean, he didn't fight with any of the women at all until Jay goes out. Yeah. There was no women ever that he didn't get along with. I mean, if you actually look at it, he didn't get along with some of the men more because he didn't get along with Michael and Matt a little bit he had friction with. It's interesting. I think we might be uh, asleep at the switch a little bit on this one where it was like that all of Kim's allies were the women sort of leaving Troyzan to only have the men. But he wants to work with people like Kim and Chelsea and Sabrina after the merge who are on that post swap tribe. And he's very willing to vote out the men. So maybe it is a misconception to think that Troyzan only wants to bro down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if he did start with women, he would have been fine. And also part of that as well, if a lot of the players in this season were actually smarter and knew more about the game, he would have been in a lot better spot as well. Because he tried to flip over Kat, he tried to flip over Christina, but they just weren't getting what he was saying and they didn't want to flip. Okay, now Troyzan is sort of caught in between those two alliances where he has like a moment or two where he hangs out with the misfits, like with the Tarzans and the Jonases of the world. And then also Matt Quinlan is looking at him and saying, hey, Troyzan, you could be rooster material if you came with us. Was he the one person that could have swung between those two sides? I think he was, yeah. I mean, I think the other person that maybe you could say is Colton a little bit, but Colton was never really going to be with the Roosters. I mean, Matt was basically just going to use him. I think Matt actually would have trusted Troyzan to be a Rooster. And in interviews that Troyzan's had, he actually said that, in hindsight, Matt was actually a pretty trustful guy. You know, Matt was actually going to be loyal to him. But talk to me a little bit about some of the uh, friction between the group of men and the group of women. And I remember in my mind seeing where there's like negotiation that is going on between them. The men are are set up a lot better, that their camp situation, their camp life is is a lot more established than the women's is. And the women are like trying to make some sort of a a trade with them. And Troyzan is driving a hard bargain with some of the women that to me, that doesn't speak to that he's trying to build great relationships with all the women in the beginning of that game. I don't think he's actually the one trying to grab a hard bargain. I mean, if you look back at it, it's Alicia and Monica that go over to the men, and they're actually 
Alicia actually makes the offer, why doesn't Monica take her top off if you give us this? So yeah. it's actually Alicia that throws that offer out there. And he says no. He says no deal. Pretty much. I mean, he does mention like, well, why don't we get you a pole? But he was just joking around. Just joking. OK. But do you feel like that Troy's in? Is he too fiercely loyal to his own group? I mean, would you think that it would be a better play to potentially at least make some friends on that side, knowing that at some point you're going to be swapped together? I think it would have been good, but you also have to remember that you have people like Matt and Michael mm-hmm. on his team. And if he was seen going over to the women and talking to them too much, then he would be basically ostracized. That's basically what happened to Colton. Yeah. You know, because Matt automatically hated Colton because Colton was already with the women too much. So in that situation, Troy Zan had to kind of play it safe and not really build a big of a bond. Talk to me about uh, when all hell starts to break loose and we have this divorce between the Roosters and the Misfits. Does Troy Zan play a big part in the boot of Matt Quinlan at his first tribal council? I think he does. I mean, it's episode three when they finally lose and they go to tribal council and Matt basically comes to him and realizes that they don't have Colton. So he realizes they need Troyzan. So he's playing a Troyzan and saying, hey, Troyzan, you know, you're actually a rooster. You're going to be with us. You should come with us and just vote together. And Troyzan pretty much tells Matt what he wants to hear. But in confessional, one of the confessionals he actually says is Matt basically is a jerk. He calls the strongest guys roosters the whole time. I'm agreeing with him. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to be with you. It ain't Survivor unless you're lying. So I think that actually shows a lot about Troyzan that he's telling Matt what he wants to hear, but he never had any intentions to go with him. Now, Troyzan, at the next time he goes to tribal council, again, really bizarre situation. The men win the immunity challenge in a route. It's not even close when you go back and watch this episode. It's a total meltdown for the women. But the men decide that they would like to go to tribal council that night. Really, Colton has this idea of, we need to go to tribal council. That's it. We got to vote out Bill Posley tonight. And Troy Zan is one of those people who agrees to this plan. Derek, how do you defend Troy Zan's actions of going to a tribal council when his tribe won immunity? In hindsight, it might not have been the best move, but... <laughs> Maybe not, have- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from his perspective, he always maintains that Bill was never going to be with him. So if that's true, say you have someone that's never going to be with you at all, they're never going to work with you, and he says that was Bill, then what's the point of not keeping them? I mean, why keep Bill around if Bill is never going to help him? Mm. So from his perspective, why not go to tribal council and vote out Bill? Because Bill's never going to work with me anyway, so... I had to get rid of him at some point. I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's sort of akin to what we just saw in this past season where David is going to use his idol to save Jessica because he knows that Lucy is never going to be on his side. But do we have evidence that if push came to shove, Bill Posley would be with Kim and the women's forces against Troyzan in some future tribal council? I don't know if you can say that in stone. No, you can't say that in stone. I mean, the evidence is more that Michael would never be with him and that Matt would probably never trust him fully. But with Bill, I mean, Bill was kind of just shown as a bumbling idiot, to be honest. So. <laughs> Come on. He was a, he's a hilarious comedian, Derek. Oh, yeah, he was hilarious. The best person of the season. <laughs> yeah, don't, please. And, uh, don't, don't be like Colton and uh, complain about Bill's profession. No, but in, in all seriousness, though, if they if Bill ends up on the swap tribe with Troy Zan and Jay, like I have to feel like Bill is going to work with those guys. 
I do agree, but I'm just trying to take what Troy Zan says at face value. I mean, mm. obviously, there's things we don't see on the island, and if Troy Zan says that Bill was never going to work with him, maybe there's things we didn't see that, you know, Bill actually was against him the whole time. All right, so now we go to the swap, and Troy Zan's game uh, changes up quite a bit because now he's going to have the opportunity to work with the women, and Kim and Chelsea and Sabrina and Kat, they all get to stick together, even though they're in an alliance of five, four out of the five alliance mates, uh, from the women's tribe, the Solani group, they get to stick together and they're joined by what Troyzan, Jay and Michael to make a new tribe of correct. seven. Yes, correct. And the other tribe is a hot mess in uh, Monono. I think that even uh, Max Dawson brings it up in Survivor One World that their tribe is like that tribe. It's like an infamously bad tribe with Colton and Tarzan and Christina Cha and uh, Alicia. Colton actually calls them Greek gods versus peasants. He calls them the peasants. <laughs> yes, yes. And Monica Culpepper, who's going to be the next person to go home in this game. And I'm sure we'll touch on her when we get to Brad later on. But Troyzan is really starting to find himself, I feel like, in the swap tribe working with the women here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if that group would have stuck together, Troyzan had a great shot. But it just so happened, I mean, from Ken's perspective, she already had a great alliance. Why go with a new great alliance when she already had a great alliance? Right. So Troyzan kind of, kind of screwed that way. I think Troyzan actually would have been a lot better off if somehow he swapped with Jonas, because I think Jonas was the one person in the game that he could actually trust fully. So mm-hmm. I think it would have worked out with him if, say, Jonas is on the tribe instead of Michael. Troy Zan wouldn't have went for Jonas first because he wanted to keep Solani strong. So if he lucked out and got Jonas somehow, I think that would have helped in the end. That's interesting. And I don't think that Kim is playing Troy Zan from this point in the game. You know, Kim is going to eventually look at her options that are on the table. And she has this alliance that she could go with. And then she has her original alliance. And she ultimately is going to decide that her original women's alliance is going to be the better fit for her. But I think she is making authentic bonds here with Troy Zan and Jay. I agree. I mean, even in the evolution of strategy, you and Josh talk about it and you say that at the merge, Troy and Jay are actually wrong to not believe Kim because from that point on, Kim doesn't even know herself that she's going to turn on them. So from that point, it's not really that bad on Jay and Troy Zan to not believe her. Just unfortunately for them, pretty much at that point is when they need to realize that she is going to turn on them. But how can they realize that if Kim doesn't even know herself? So Monono is going to lose Monica and then Colton is going to get medevaced. And then there's no tribal council also uh, that night. It, I, would it have benefited Troyzan if Monono had to go to a tribal council or they didn't even do an immunity challenge in that episode? I think it would have benefited them um, because if they had gone to tribal council and Colton hadn't been medevaced, then it probably would have been Christina going out, which Troy Zan all season had problems with Christina because she would never really understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. He even says in interviews that it was like talking to a brick wall. Yeah. So no offense to Christina, but I mean, that's what he says about her. So so it would have ultimately been a number that hurt Troy Zan and benefited Kim had Monono gone to another tribal council. Yeah, Christina being gone would have definitely helped Troy Zan and Colton being in the game actually would have helped him as well because Colton was someone that Troy Zan could trust somewhat. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much he could trust him long term, but at least in the short term, he was a number that Troy Zan could use. Yeah. 
No, but it's an interesting episode where there's a medevac sort of like in the middle of the episode. And then we don't have a tribal council after that, where I feel like that most times in modern day Survivor, when we have a medical evacuation, we'll also still vote somebody out in that episode. But they don't do that here. They just merge the tribe. So we get to our 12 person merge and all signs point to Troy Zan being in a good spot because Solani is going to stick together and he ends up being on board to vote out his ally Jonas. Now, in hindsight, this turns out to be very problematic for Troy Zan. Definitely. I think Jonas was the one person he could trust because at the time he felt he could trust Jay. He felt he could trust Kim and Chelsea. But in hindsight, he couldn't trust any of those three people. I think Jonas is actually someone he could trust, but the way he was looking at it at the time was, I have to say Solani's strong, this is my new group now, and Jonas is a Bonono, so why not get rid of Jonas? And he felt, in interviews he said, that he didn't actually have enough power and pull to really change the vote too much, because he would have preferred someone besides Jonas go out. He would have preferred one of the women go out, like, you know, say Christina, for mm-hmm. example. <laughs> sure. But... He didn't really want to change things up too much because he had immunity. He's like, well, I have immunity. I'm safe. You know, I'll just go with this. Very important. Yeah, that he has immunity. He doesn't want to rock the boat. It's sort of like the exactly. first test here that they haven't even gone to a tribal council. Like, And maybe had Solani gone to a tribal council, they, you know, Stephen Fishback likes to say that that's something that you sort of like, you know where you stand with your allies when you're voting together. He doesn't right. get to go through that experience with them. This is the first tribal council they go to as a quote unquote team but it does really hurt his options in the game to lose one of the men at the merge. Now, you mentioned that he has immunity. He won immunity on this challenge. You know, uh, Troy Zan's gray balls aren't moving at all, I believe Jeff says. <laughs> no, they were not. <laughs> but in addition to winning immunity, he's also going to find an idol. Correct. Where does he get an idol from? Uh, he finds the idol before the challenge, actually. And he okay. goes into the challenge already having an idol. Was there a clue or he was just like wandering through the woods? No, he was just wandering and he found it. Okay. Yeah. So Troyzan does have a nose for the idols. He does, which could help him out a lot. Is he a big looking for the idol guy? I don't think he was early on. He has said early on that he didn't really try that much, but he also has said that in a future game, which obviously we're coming up on Game Changers, he would definitely look for the idol more often. So I think early on in Game Changers, you could see him looking for the idol. And good luck with that, because he's on a tribe with Tony and with Malcolm, <laughs> yes. two of the you know best short of Russell Hance. I don't know how many other people you're going to say and put ahead of those guys uh, in terms of finding the idol. So he has his work cut out for him with finding uh, the idol in season 34. I do want to just note as well um, about the challenge as well, yeah. that when Troy Zan wins immunity, like I said before, every single person on the tribe is smiling from ear to ear and they're all happy for him except Michael. So I want to say from that point on, his social game was still intact. It was still great. Everyone was happy for him. You mentioned Michael. Now there's animosity between Troy Zan and Michael. Where does that stem from? How did this relationship get so bad? I think it was from when the Roosters versus Misfits was happening way back at third vote. And I think basically what happened is Michael was upset that Troyzen didn't side with them, and that probably stemmed a bad relationship from that point on. Um, we don't really see a lot on screen to show the animosity, but Troyzen has been on record saying that Michael was always out to get him. Michael was always saying things behind his back, and it sounds like they had a bad relationship from the start. But I think it probably had something to do with Troyzen not siding with Michael, and Michael was hurt about that. And so Kim is able to take advantage of this, and she does plant a Kim seed, and tells Troy Zan a lie about Michael, right? She does tell him a lie. Uh, I do want to say, though, that I don't think Kim really got him to do that. I think Kim was responsible, but in a little bit different sense. I think Kim 
played Troy Zan against himself because Troy Zan was already looking for a reason to vote out Michael and Kim just used that against him. So it's not so much that she planted a lie that got him to do it. It's that he, she already knew that he hated Michael and she played that against him. So he would do it. And so she stokes the flames of, Hey, we got to get out Michael. Now Troy Zan isn't fighting her on this one, because if it was any other guy, you would think he might say, Hey, hold on. Hey, we you said you're going to vote out one of the women from your side. No, but this was the one guy that he would have been fine to vote out. But what he doesn't realize is that it's a one less guy. And again, Michael was probably never going to vote with Troy Zan. But now we get it down to which is very smart on Kim's part, because he actually says that say she Kim said, oh, yeah, at least talking about you. Troy Zan would have went to leave. But because she said Michael, he already automatically believed it because Michael had always been talking about him. Mm -hmm. And then we end up with there only being what four men left in the game in Troy. Tarzan, Leaf, and Jay at this point. Correct. Kim and the women, they do have an advantage now. I believe there's six women and only four men left in the game. So this is a real big line in the sand moment for Troy Zan at the final 10. This is where Troy Zan's radar is really going off that something is amiss. So talk to me about where Troy Zan starts to realize that this is not going in the right direction for him. Basically, Troy Zan has a conversation with Kim, and that conversation is what tips him off. He asks Kim if she's going against him, if she's voting against him. And Kim tries to play it cool, saying, no, we're with you, everything like that. But yeah, that's her move. She, she's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Right. She laughs. What? Yeah, that's crazy talk. Come on. Get out of here with that. But Troy Zan actually says in confessional that she was a little bit too adamant about it, that she said it too much. You know, he pretty much says more or less. You didn't have to say, oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. You just had to say it once. That's basically what he says in confessional. So if Kim would have played a little bit more cool, she might have got away with it. But that tipped him off from that point. Now, Troy Zan's ride or die to this point had been the great Jay Byers, but Jay is not seeing what Troy Zan is seeing. Could you talk a little bit to that relationship? Yeah, Troy Zan sees Jay as kind of his ride or die, more or less. But Jay basically says in confessional that, oh, I can't go against Troy Zan in the final. I can't beat Troy Zan, which in the evolution of strategy, it's kind of funny when you and Josh talk about it. You're like, but he thinks he can beat Kim, though. So Mm -hmm. basically, Troy Zan is thinking Jay is his best ally, but Jay is thinking his best allies are Kim and Chelsea. So Jay is actually not with Troy Zan from the get-go. Troy has a plan, right? He wants to use his hidden immunity idol in this round of the vote to make this Hail Mary plan to save them. Basically, what he wants to do is he goes to Jay and he tells him, hey, I have an idol. Let's vote against Kim. Let's take her out. And you see scenes of Troy Zan going around to other people. You know, he wants to go around to Tarzan. He wants to talk to Christina. He's trying to get enough votes to play the idol and get Kim voted out and try and get the votes on him. But the problem here is, again, Jay is so under the belief that, boy, Troy Zan, he's gone rogue. Troy Zan's not with the plan anymore. Kim, what are we going to do about this Troy Zan? Right. Jay actually <laughs> screws himself, actually, because he tells Kim... Yeah, Troy Zan's going to play his idol. He has an idol. I don't know what this guy's up to. He's crazy. <laughs> He's going to play an idol against you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm just bum puzzled about the whole thing, Kim. I need your help. <laughs> yeah. Basically, he tells Kim, Troy Zan's going to play his idol and that why don't we vote for Christina and just have Troy Zan play his idol? And in Kim's mind, she's like, thanks. Great plan, Jay. Let's just vote you out instead of Christina. <laughs> Right, right. So Jay never sees it coming. And 
And we're going to go to this tribal council. But Derek, that I, I know that you are uh, such a you know big fan of Troyzin's game that you've uh, you know followed uh, many interviews that he's done over the years about this. Now, so, something else happens that really makes Troyzan upset at this point in time. Could you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, basically, Troyzan's trying to get the idol played on Kim, and Kim has a confessional that she says there's no time to change the votes. And basically, what Troyzan's saying is that. The votes changed, but they didn't change in a way that was, I guess, kosher with, with how the game is supposed to be played in his eyes. He felt like that on the way to tribal council, Kim was like signaling Correct. to people who to vote for. And you're not really supposed to do that. Yeah, he says that like on the way to tribal, she changes votes around and that screws up his game, mm-hmm. which I mean, if I was in the same shoes as him, I would be pissed, too. You know, I mean. Obviously, it's supposed to be locked down for a reason. And if it's on lockdown, then you can't really be changing votes. I can't speak to whether it actually happened or not. But if it did happen, I think that says a lot about why Troyzan is better towards Kim. Because if she did change votes and change his entire game around, then why wouldn't you be better about that? I mean, she didn't play within the rules of the game. But personally, as somebody who's been through that, I don't think that that's that big of a deal. I, I really don't. I know that he was really upset about it at the time. But when I had you know, heard the reason, because there's like a mystery, like, oh, OK, why is he so mad at Kim? Why is he so bitter with her? And then when I had heard the story, I was like, oh, the real, that's it. That's it. Now, again, I don't know how much like if people were like really needed to be convinced or if it was just like because you see this happen at Tribal Council where right. you, know, you have Boston Rob say, Okay, I'm going to put my hand on the shoulder of a person and then you vote for them. I mean, if Kim's is tapping cat on the shoulder and say, "Okay, we're voting for, you know, vote for Troy Zan tonight. I mean, who is she really having to convince here that wasn't going like there was no Troy Zan loyalist who is like, I mean, it's Alicia, Christina, Tarzan, Sabrina and Kim. I mean, it's not like I feel like she had to do a lot of convincing to get those people to vote for Jay that night. No, you probably do have a point somewhat, but I will say that in confessional, Alicia does say that she is thinking about going with Troyzan. So the thought was there in her mind. And basically, Alicia controls Christina and Tarzan. So if Kim somehow really talked to Alicia and got her to change her vote, then basically that pulls Tarzan and Christina away as well. So we didn't really see what happens. I mean, I can't say how bad it was. Right. And honestly, like the damage is already done at that point. If anything, like uh, Troy should be really mad at Jay for telling Kim his plan about the idol. Like, I think that's the person that he really should be upset with more than Kim in that spot, because he has a good plan. If Jay can just keep his mouth shut and not tell Kim that Troy Zan's going to play the idol against him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if Jay kept his mouth shut, <laughs> that's then the person to be angry. It, with. It could have actually worked. And Kim could have actually went out with an idol. At that point. Yeah. I mean, if Kim goes out with an idol at that point, who knows what happens? You know, Troy Zan's probably the favorite to win in my eyes. But no matter what, Troy Zan comes away from this and he's pissed. He's not happy. And now he's going to be on tilt the rest of the way. And I think that this is like the image of Troy Zan that a lot of people are going to have in their minds where now this is the this is my island. He's going to go on a little bit of a run here. Uh, he'll win immunity the next time out and be safe, but it's pretty clear the writing is on the wall. People are coming for Troyzan now. Correct. Uh, basically, they get back from tribal council, and that's when it starts. He starts talking to Christina. He's not being mean to Christina at all, but he's just basically trying to ask her, so why didn't you go with my plan? You never really considered my plan, did you? And then Sabrina and Alicia both kind of chime in to defend Christina, and they basically attack Troyzan. And it's kind of a big feud between Troyzan, Sabrina, and Alicia. And they basically battle out together. 
And we then get to where Leaf gets voted out here. So uh, <laughs> bye bye, Leaf. Yes. And Troy wins immunity that week. Yeah. And Troyzan and Troyzan is immune and they can't vote him out. So, okay. So Troyzan again has his back up against the wall. He basically is in the situation where he needs to either win immunity or go home. He doesn't win immunity. But here at final eight, numerically, that's a tough vote to flip things around on. But he does have a pretty solid plan. And I remember even thinking at the time that, oh, maybe this is going to work. So, what is Troyzan trying to make happen at final eight? Yeah, he's trying to get himself, Alicia. He's trying to get Kat, Tarzan, and Christina. If those five vote against Chelsea, Kim, and Sabrina, then they can control the vote. And that's basically what he tries to pitch to all of them. You know, us five can control everything. You can go from being at the bottom to being at the top. And you know what? It looks like a, a pretty solid plan. Again, who are the people that are going to be in that with Troyzan? He's trying to get himself he's trying to get cat he's trying to get tarzan christina and alicia none of those people are going to be in the top three so it's sort of like in hindsight yeah it's like you know maybe troyzan is right. going to be onto something but although as you say with josh and the evolution of strategy the problem for him is that he's at the bottom trying to make the pitch you know when you're trying to make the pitch at the very bottom of the totem pole it's harder to do it it is tough to do you need like probably a couple of people it's better when it's like a voting block trying to make that swing right. to happen and so you take a person or it's like, okay, he's definitely going home. I mean, Kim has so much pull over everybody else in that group. And so there's just no chance that anybody's going to follow through on that. But again, for some of these people who say no to this, like Kat, who's going to go out next, it really, in hindsight, you say, uh, maybe I should have taken up Troy's in on that offer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they all took him up on the offer, then Kim, Sabrina and Chelsea have nowhere to go. They're the next three picked off. And they all have a great shot. I mean, Troyzan wasn't even, let's say they go to Final Five together. If theoretically they could just take out Troyzan at Final Five. So I think Troyzan would have worked something out to get himself farther. But yeah. in their eyes, Troyzan was trying to make it sound like, hey, you could just take me out of Final Five. I'm just voting until then. So I think it was great on Troyzan part. And I'm even sympathetic here to how frustrating this must have been for Troyzan because that they're trying, there's a vote split of what do we do if Troyzan has another idol? So we need to split the votes just in case Troyzan pulls out another idol. We've seen that he's found an idol before in this game. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a couple of votes on Christina Cha just in case Troyzan has the idol. And Christina is like, they tell her this, like, okay, well, we're going to put votes on Troyzan, but then we're just going to put a couple of votes on you, you know, like just in case he has an idol or anything like that. Like, uh, yeah, they basically say they're like, oh, well, you're used to getting votes anyway. So do you mind? And she's like, oh, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's, oh, it's just in case he plays an idol. Okay. Then, then I'll just go home instead of one of the good people. Oh, okay. Good. Good. I think she there's a scene, right? She she like tells him she like relays that to him. She's like, yeah, so it's going to be they're going to vote for you and they're putting some votes on me just in case you have an idol or anything like that. And he's like, yeah, what? pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and she actually pitches, well, I'll vote for Chelsea if you want. And Troy Zan says in confessional, well, that doesn't really help me. But I mean, if they're putting votes on you, then, you know, that might help. me. Yeah. And he ends up jumping on, throws his vote on her and he goes out, you know, four to three to one. And that's it. Now. Troy Zan is going to be, you know, a, a big figure in the finale and the reunion. He is uh, one of only two people who don't vote for Kim, right? He, him and Leaf, uh, they Correct. put votes on Sabrina. Still upset about the business with, he feels like that Kim changed her vote uh, when it was a timeout. And so he doesn't want to vote for her in the end. And even at the reunion show, that Troy Zan still seems bitter with Kim. 
Yeah, he does. I mean, he does talk a little bit how fans perceived him as well. And he says that, yeah, fans have compared me to Richard Hatch. And he says later that, like, he wasn't trying to say that fans were saying he was as good as Richard Hatch. Just that fans were comparing him to the same sentence. So he thought that was kind of cool that he was being used in the same sentence. What was that sentence? Um, he doesn't go on record of saying what they said particularly, but hey, weren't you I on mean, that show Survivor yeah. like Richard Hatch? It, it could have been possibly, but hey, Troy, I did mean, you I, pay your taxes this year? You know, that could have been it too. <laughs> no, I think he was just trying to say that like fans say they liked me as a character as much as Richard Hatch. So, okay. I mean, I don't see who would have thought there was no characters since Richard Hatch. Like we had 23 other seasons. I mean, I think there would have been other characters. Yeah. All right. So I think then, you know, people really were fond of Kim. People don't like it when you're bitter, especially at the reunion. You could be bitter at the final tribal council, but I think then people want to see at the reunion show that you're sort of over it. And so it ended up being sort of like uh, probably more negativity sent his way. And I think then even like for, you know, a while after the show, I think he continued on with that. But as far as I know and I understand, I believe all of those relationships from Survivor One World are amended. And I believe that, you know, him and Kim are very friendly at this point that Kim was telling me that, you know, Troy's aunt stays at her house when uh, when he comes through uh, the San Antonio area. So I think that everything is water under the bridge. Yeah, definitely. He even says during his second chance interview with you that. Uh, he talks to Kim all the time. He just never really talked to her about the game too much, but they talk all the time and everything. Yeah. I do want to mention real quick, though, that um, one of the things he says at the reunion that's kind of interesting is he talks about fear and how the people in Kim's alliance were living out of fear. So basically she was controlling them by fear because they didn't want to feel uncomfortable. So they were afraid to actually go do something else. But because of that fear, they stay close to Kim because they didn't want to be uncomfortable. I kind of disagree with that, that I wasn't there. So maybe, uh, you know, that I, I could defer to Troy's in on this one. But I do make a, like a big case in the evolution of strategy. But comparing Kim and Boston Rob, I said, you know, Boston Rob's game is based on fear. People are afraid if you cross him, you're going to be the next one to go. Whereas I feel like that Kim Spradlin's game, I feel like is based on love where the people that are around her, they loved her so much that they wanted to like she motivated them by they wanted just to be friends with her and, and keep her happy more so than they were afraid about what was going to happen to her. But that's a story for a whole different day, Derek. I mean, I do agree for the most part. I think the one exception is probably Kat. I think Kat was playing out of fear because Kat was kind of saying like, oh, if I go against Kim, you know, like I think Kat is the one exception that she would have been playing out of fear, but the rest I kind of agree. Fear that Kim was going to take her love away. I think she's like, what? Oh, Kim won't like me if I don't do what she says. Okay. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right, so let's go and talk about some adjustments that Troy Zan uh, may need to make between the two seasons. You touched on how some things that he has said in interviews coming out of that season. In in your mind, what's the biggest change that Troy Zan needs to make from what happens where things were going well in Survivor One World and then the bottom fell out and he didn't handle that great. So what do you think he needs to do in a new season of Survivor? Yeah, I think in a new season of Survivor, he basically needs to play more with his head, which he has said he will do. So hopefully he does. But I think he needs to not let his emotions get the best of him as much. Because basically when he was slighted and he felt betrayed, he let his emotions get the best of him. He's like, well, fine, I'm just going to win every challenge then. But obviously, as we saw, it's a little bit harder than you think to win every challenge. I mean, only Mike Holloway has really done that. So Yeah, that's not the best plan. Right, exactly. I mean, Joe has tried that point two seasons now and joe couldn't do it if joe can't do it i mean so let's start to uh take a look at troy zan going into season 34 and it's an interesting 
fit for him because it does seem like that he's rather well connected with a lot of survivors from over the years. Like he seems like he's very friendly in the survivor community. There's nobody here that he's ever played with before. The only connection that you could sort of draw between Troy Zan and anybody is to Brad Culpepper, who is the husband of the great Monica Culpepper, who played with Troy Zan and did at one point end up in uh, some negotiations that we talked about earlier in this podcast. Do you think that Troy Zan and Brad are pretty friendly? Uh, I don't know if they talk personally, but I think that they would be friendly if they did talk. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't get along. I mean, basically, when you ask- I'll say I, I think it's outside the realm of possibility to think that they're not friendly. Right. I, I would agree with that? that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just trying to say that I don't know if personally if they talk, but I mean, he did say in the second chance interview that basically all he knew about Brad was that he was pretty intense. And obviously, Troy Zan can be intense, too. Mm-hmm. I think they would get along well. Might have been think, downplaying a little bit. Yeah, he, I think he was. But yeah. Being a little coy. Koi, Zan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he also said in that interview, too, that he didn't want to give away his plan. So he might have been downplaying a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. I get it. So you got to think that Troy Zan and Brad Culpepper are going to be two birds of a feather if they can ever end up on the same tribe. Right. Agreed. But he also has two other sort of connections. He okay. was in Second Chance casting with Jeff Varner and Sierra Easton. Yes. So, so, I mean, I think with those people, he might get along with them. I think a little bit less so with Sierra. I think she has a personality that she could see him like Brad, and she might hold that against him, perhaps. But I think with Jeff Varner specifically, he's going to get along great with Jeff. Mm-hmm. I think they're both like more of an old school mind. Even though Troy Zan played in season 24, I think he's always been a considered a player that has more of an old school mentality. That's a good point. And considering that Jeff Varner had a pregame alliance with I think every single person that was in the casting pool for Survivor Second Chance, like uh, there's definitely a bond there. Yeah, definitely. I think they're going to look great. And Sierra, like I said, I mean, Sierra, maybe not as much, but is a possibility because they weren't casting together. So maybe they got along well in casting. Who else do you think is going to be able to play well with Troy Zan? I think Tony will, actually. I think Tony and Troy Zan are going to be a great pairing. Why? I hope they get together. Um, oh, my God. Troy Zan. <laughs> I think Tony's going to see Troy Zan as like his next woo. But <laughs> I think Tr- Tony will see Troy Zan a little bit smarter than woo. I think um, Tony will like to use him. And basically, if Troy Zan's smart about it, he can just kind of play off of Tony. Let Tony be the big, you know, flashing target that everyone goes for. And then when the time is right, Troy Zan can actually turn on Tony. Yeah, I could see Troy Zan being like a bit of a schmoozer and being like, oh, my God, Tony, I can't right. believe it's you. Are you kidding me? Like, I feel like he could be like making Tony feel good about himself. Right. And Tony's going to be like, Troy Zan, you want to make a move? <laughs> <laughs> you ready? You're going to make a move? I, I could see it. And, you know, I feel like that Troy Zan is not against hanging out in the spy shack. Right. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And also on his tribe, I think one of the females that he could get along great with is Michaela. I think Michaela has the type of personality and strategic know-with-all that it's actually going to work well with Troy Zan because they're both fiery to a degree. But Michaela also has shown that she understands the game. And I think that's going to be great for Troy Zan. I think... He's going to get along with Bubba Kale as well. What about Sandra? Do you think that that's a match? Because I could see Sandra, she sometimes uh, gets in. She didn't love coach, uh, you know, and Troy Zan to some degree. You know, you could if you squint hard enough, you could say, OK, maybe he does some things that coach does. Yeah, I don't think Sandra's going to like him. I mean, unless there's something I don't know about where they're friends outside the game. But mm-hmm. from what I've seen with Sandra and Troy Zan, I don't think they're going to go along well at all. 
I think Sandra will see Troyzan like a coach or somewhat like a Russell as well. And I think she's going to automatically be against him. So I would say on his tribe, Sandra is the biggest one for him to watch out for. Yeah, I could definitely see it going sideways between uh, Troyzan and Sandra. But from the little bit that I know, I do think that Troyzan is friends with a lot of like the old school players that he seems like very well connected from like, at least from like what I see on Facebook and like people that are talking to each other. I feel like a lot of the old school survivors always like talking on each other's uh, statuses and stuff like that. And I feel like that he's, even though he played in season 24, I feel like that he seems like he is uh, more friendly with people that played like in the first 15 seasons. So I feel like that there's some connection between Sandra and Troyzan. I could see that. I mean, it's a possibility. I could see them being friendly. That's all I'm saying. I'm not right. saying like uh, that I feel like they have like any sort of like pregame alliance or anything like that. But I definitely feel like that she goes to a lot of different events. He goes to a lot of different events. Like I'm sure their paths have crossed like three or four times over the years. Yeah. I mean, he does go to Hearts of Reality every year. So I think they probably cross paths there. And again, he is like uh, for a guy who has a reputation of a bad social game. I think he is like a pretty friendly guy. I think it's just when things end up going bad for him that he lacks some impulse control. But I do think that when things are going well, he's probably like the nicest guy in the world. I agree. And I think one of the interesting things to know is that Troyzan is the only person on the entire cast that has not played with anyone else. So I think Troyzan is somewhat of a blank slate. I mean, he's not going to have anyone on the cast that already has animosity towards him. So I think that's a good thing for him. What about over on the other tribe? Are there any people that you think uh, might be a good or bad relationship for Troyzan? Well, we did talk about Brad a little bit. I think Brad's going to be a good relationship for him, obviously. Yes. What, some of the people that might not like him as much, I think Sari is going to see right through yeah, him. Yeah, I, I think, think that Sari both would, ways. I think yeah. that he's going to say, look, if there's anybody that is spraddling upside in this cast it's Sari and I feel like that he is not going down that road again yes I don't think Sari and him will get along um if they're both there at a merge situation or swap situation another one I think him and Ozzy won't really get along because I think with Ozzy Ozzy's gonna be kind of like the Matt Quinlan or the Michael to him and I think Ozzy's gonna see him as like hey you want to come be my little sidekick kind of thing so I don't think that's really gonna fly well with Troyzan because Troyzan doesn't want to be you know second fiddle to another like rooster type. Mm-hmm. I think the difference with Ozzy and Tony obviously is Tony's a much different person. I mean, Tony isn't going to be like all about the challenges, stuff like that. He's going to be more into strategy. And I think Troy Zan would feel that Tony would be a better pairing with him, even though Tony's is still going to be a target. I think Ozzy would be a bad pairing for him because Ozzy's somewhat considered the same mole as Troy Zan, And I think that would work out bad for him. Derek, do you have a prediction for Troy Zan for season 34? Oh, it's obvious. He's going to win. Yeah, that's it. This is his island. It's his island. This is your real prediction. You say Troy Zan, you think is going to be the winner. I think so. Yes. I think as long as he makes it out of the pre-merge, he's golden. And the crowd goes wild. Why do you say if he make? why do you say if he makes it out of the pre-merge? Because last time when he played, he had some difficulty from what he says in the pre-merge because he had to work between both those alliances and he could have possibly been the first one out if he didn't work it right. Mm-hmm. But once he hit the merge, he was actually in a great spot, I think, if people were actually smart enough to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. In this season, he's not going to have that problem. There's very few people, if any, in this season that won't know how to play the game. And I think that's going to work out great for him. Because if he says, hey, we're on the bottom, let's go do this, people are actually going to be respectful of that. People are actually going to understand what he's talking about. So I think yeah. as long as he makes the merge, he's in a great spot. Because if you look at it from all three facets of the game, say socially, he has people like JT that would be ahead of him. Say physically, he has people like Ozzy and Malcolm that would be considered ahead of him. Say strategically, he has people like Sari, Aubrey, Tony. 
So every facet of the game, there's going to be people that are considered as better than Troyzan. All he has to do is be the most well-rounded player. If he can be the most well-rounded player and work those people against each other, he can actually win the game. I'll tell you what, though, for Troyzan, that's a two-way street in terms of there are going to be people that if he's on the bottom that are going to flip and make a move because if he's up in the numbers and people on the bottom and people that are working with him flip against him, He's got to be able to roll with those punches, too. So, you know, people that are on the bottom, like if uh, Sierra is on the bottom and like, hey, guys, we got to make moves. Come on, let's go. Uh, and people do flip against him. He can't be going nuts and yelling at everybody again. No, that's definitely true. And I think he has learned enough from the time he spent past this season that he won't do that because he said in interviews that he wants to be a more Disney Troy Zane character in his interview with you. So basically, he wants to be like a kinder, gentler Troyzan that won't react that way. So. Okay. All right. Derek, what's the Troyzan hashtag? I think it's got to be Troyjan Horse. Troyjan Horse. I, I want to say Koizan. Why is he the Troyjan Horse? Well, I think kind of like the Trojan Horse, he's going to basically insert himself into these alliances and then take them out from within. I think that's basically what his best game plan is. All right. Well, Derek, uh, this was really fun to go through all things uh, Troy Zan. Really great job. I think that you hopefully have uh, illuminated some people on some of the finer points of Troy Zan's game that they may not have known before. Derek, if people want to reach out to you on social media uh, to talk Troy Zan or anything, how do people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Derek Blaze. That's D-E-R-R-E-C-K. B-L-A-I-S-E. All right, Derek. Thanks again. Great job and good luck to Troyzan. Yeah, definitely. I hope he wins it. Okay, take care. Bye. All right, everybody. There you have it. Derek Blaze. Love the passion for Troyzan. Really bringing it, trying to make the case why Troyzan might be just a little misunderstood. It definitely will be interesting to see how things go for Troyzan the second time around. Again, it's hard to get a good barometer when you're playing with one of the greats like a Kim Spradlin of what Troy Zan was actually able to do in a season, although there's plenty of greats that are going to be out there. So he has his work cut out for him, but we'll see what happens with Troy Zan. Um, just a quick word on Derek, who I did this interview with. In the time since him and I had recorded this interview, he is actually dealing with a rather serious health scare that he's been going through over the last couple of weeks. And so I would really appreciate it if you could keep him in your thoughts. And we're hoping to hear that he's making a very speedy recovery with that. So Derek just wanted to say that we're all thinking about you and maybe just for you, maybe there'll be a few more Troy Zan fans this season. Okay. So that's going to do it for us here on this episode. I've got another good one coming up on Monday. We are going to get to episode number five. And first, we're going to talk about another one of our four-time survivors coming back. We're going to do a deep dive into Ozzy with Tyler Kakuno. Again, I think this is another really interesting interview and a very fun topic to go through Ozzy's three games. I think we got into some really fun stuff. I know Ozzy isn't the most popular contestant with the fans on the internet listening to podcasts, but I think this is a really interesting interview talking about his game. And then we're going to talk some more co-wrong as we're going to talk about the return of Debbie Wang to Survivor. And we're talking about that with another one of our listeners, Shannon Gates, who interestingly enough is the inventor of the Rupert Tweets game. So uh, much like Debbie, she has uh, many claims to fame, Shannon Gates. So we will talk about all that on Monday. Ozzy and Debbie coming up in the next episode of our Game Changers 
preview series. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. I've really enjoyed all of the feedback on these shows. I had a lot of fun doing these and I'm glad you guys are really enjoying them so much as well. So let me know what you thought and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.